The answer's no, Griff. No? Yeah, what are you, deaf and stupid? I said no. What's wrong, McFly? Chicken? <laughs> what did you call me, Griff? Chicken! McFly! Nobody calls me chicken. Nystrom, Nystrom's really getting some good right hands in. Gillies is down with Sandstrom. Somebody better help Sandstrom. Everyone must be held accountable for their actions. You cannot see your star carried out in a stretcher and do nothing about it. Oh my, did Mick plant one on C-card. Wow. You can't put a bounty on a man's head. I just did. The spinning, spinning, who's he going to go after? The puck drops and Bob Just a minute, Al Arbor has won mm -hmm. four Stanley Cups, so don't start telling Al Arbor what to do, you and John Davison. This is Coliseum Chronicles, The Penalty Box, your source for Islanders Enforcer Talk. Welcome to Episode 61, actual Episode 78, and my latest installment of Talking Isles Enforcers With. And today, we are Talking Isles Enforcers With Trevor Steinberg, former Quebec Nordique, former Halifax Citadel, former Fredericton Express, former New Haven Nighthawk, former Springfield Indian. And before that, he plied his craft in the OHL. So, as always, if you could please subscribe to the show on whatever platform you are listening to. I think on some platforms it's called subscribe. On some platforms it's called follow. Um, by doing that, you never have to worry about searching for another episode of this fine broadcast, this fine show, this quality entertainment that I bring to you every week. You never have to go looking for it. It just appears instantly in your feed, in your stream. It's just right there. So please uh, subscribe and follow the show. And if you have a minute, if you could like, rate, and review the show, it just gives the show greater visibility. I believe I appear in more searches that way. And... Um, like I always say, there's uh, there's enough in this world right now for everybody to do good for other people. Um, you know, like I always say, and I talk about it when I talk about um, the social media in a second. Uh, if you have a show that you uh, you produce, I'm more than happy to uh, help you with that by subscribing and liking and reviewing. So we can all work together and make our shows or, or our content, whatever it may be, uh, bigger out there and uh, more prominent in the world of content, I guess, uh, social media at Joe underscore Lozito and at Kali sin bin pod on Twitter, Facebook, facebook.com slash Coliseum Chronicles podcast and Instagram Coliseum underscore Chronicles underscore podcast. So if you're new to the show, 
you uh, you should know that on my Twitter. Twitter is the uh, the platform I'm most active on. So the at Joe underscore Luzito Twitter is my personal Twitter, and the at Kali Sinbin Pod Twitter is the show Twitter. So as far as the show Twitter goes, and the show Facebook and the show Instagram, that is all content related to the show, related to Islanders enforcers, related to Islanders organizational enforcers. Uh, so if you like the show, you would probably like those social media. Uh, accounts because you're listening because you like the Islanders or you like fights or both. So that pretty much is the content that's on those social media accounts. And the at Joe Luzito Twitter is just goofy shit that I tweet about. Uh, I'm not a disease expert like a lot of your friends, uh, not a political expert like a lot of your friends. So if you like lighthearted shit, then uh, you might want to give me a follow. And as I always say, follow me, like my page, whatever, I will return the favor in kind. Now, today, it's Sunday, it's August 15th, it's a beautiful day here on Long Island, and um, some people might be wearing tank tops, some people might be wearing t-shirts, whatever you want, if you're looking for some new merchandise, and also, school is starting all across the country, maybe all across the world, uh, between now and a couple of weeks from now, whether it's grade school, uh, middle school, high school, college, It's starting. You need new clothes. And what better way to start your school year than with some nice, crisp Coliseum Chronicles, the penalty box merchandise. So that's why I'd say today on Long Island, you can wear a tank top, you can wear a t-shirt. Maybe you're out jogging, you want to drop a little weight, you throw on a hoodie. Everything is available to you. So if you scroll down a little bit past the episode description, in this very episode you are listening to, you'll see two links. One is for the classic logo merchandise, and one is for the alternate logo merchandise. Anything you need, t-shirts, sweatshirts, uh, hoodies, uh, leggings, totes, socks, um, God, I don't even, what else is on there? There's like 20 or so items to pick from. And while I generally rock the blue, Uh, There are plenty of different colors. Uh, I know the logo kind of pops on the black also. Uh, If you're if you're a little uh, risque and you don't and you like to go away from the norm, throw that logo on a red T-shirt or a green T-shirt. See how it goes. But the logo, I love the logo. I love when people order merchandise. I love and you're doing me a favor by representing the show. So I really want to thank anyone who has ever purchased any items from the merchandise store. And as always, I have a listener exclusive discount. This is not broadcast on the internet, but for the next week, use code Steiny20, S-T-I-E-N-Y-2-0, Steiny20. That code will get you 20% off your entire order in either merchandise store, in both merchandise stores. So don't feel like, oh, I have to make a choice. I want to get so much stuff. No, 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 no. Load up those carts, use code STEINY20, 20% off your entire order. That code is good until August 23rd of 2021. The reason why I love promoting the merchandise, because folks, I'm not going to lie, I'm not getting rich off that stuff, but I love the logo and I love the fact that local Long Island artist Joe Marisich uh, drew that up for me. He, uh, I'm going to say he helped me with the alternate logo and by help, I mean he did the font for that also. But Joe's a great dude, and he's really talented. He does more than tunes. You can reach Joe for any art projects that you're interested in having done for you 
on Twitter at GraphicsJoker or at LoudEgg.com. Joe is a real easygoing guy. He's real easy to work with. I highly recommend him. So please do yourself a favor. If you have any projects that require any kind of art, reach out to Joe Marisich. A couple of more things. If you enjoy the content of this show, I can pretty much guarantee you will enjoy the content of a few other shows I would like to talk about. The first show is the Fourth Line Voice podcast with my buddy Darren up in Saskatoon. Um, Darren's latest episode. Well, first, let's just get this out of the way. Two shows a week, Wednesday, Sunday. Wednesday are his interview shows. Sunday, he does a Sunday shit show. And uh, he's part of the Hockey Podcast Network. They have a lot of shows. Uh, Darren's show and Terry Ryan's show, I believe, are the two best shows in the network. Uh, But, yeah, definitely give both day's worth of episodes a listen so today is sunday the sunday shit show has not dropped yet and i'm really anxious to hear it and i'll tell you why in a moment but his latest episode that is available was the wednesday episode uh darren has a uh, a series a series like my series talking islanders and forces with darren has a top five toughest opponent series that he's been doing now for a while um so if there's any other shows that have done similar ideas as of late it's sort of fishy but anyway uh top five toughest opponents with wade brookbank that was wednesday by the time you're listening to this hopefully the sunday shit show will be available uh darren's back catalog is second to none definitely give him a listen also he has a youtube channel fourth line voice on youtube now youtube lately has been eliminating some very prominent accounts that post hockey fights on there. So if you watch hockey fights on YouTube, your choices are going to be very limited. Uh, As far as I know, Darren, well, I do know Darren's account is still up there. Hopefully it stays up there. He's got over 2,500 fights, any league, any player, uh, anything you're interested in, just use the search engine and I guarantee you something will pop up. But I want to just say something uh, about Darren and I'm not, going to give it give the whole thing away because it's his story to tell um please do me a favor and listen to his episode the sunday episode today because if you're if you're someone who likes my content uh and you're not familiar with darren or alec at the fourth line um at the five for fighting podcast we're the we're the little guys in this uh in the podcast world and we don't have the following of some of the bigger shows we don't have the cachet of former players uh former coach whatever being involved in the game in some capacity where our name is out there so for someone like myself and someone like darren and someone like alec we need to come up with ideas to keep producing content we don't like i said we can't just reach into our rolodex and call a coach we had 15 years ago or the all-star that we played with two years ago whatever and i'm not i'm not jealous I'm just saying that's a fact. There are certain hosts that have that ability. We don't. So when we come up with ideas like Darren's five toughest opponents, and again, no, none of us, none of us are saying we're planting a flag down here. So don't get me wrong. It's not like anyone on any podcast has never done a toughest opponent countdown. So Darren's not saying that. I'm not saying that. You know, I do the Talking Isles Enforcers with. That's my series. I do Seasons in Review. Again, nobody, I'm not saying I I have it copyrighted 
you know, nobody's saying that Alec has just started doing Facebook live episodes and I'll talk about the episode he just released last week and there, and it, it was amazing. Um, but when we do stuff on the content side, we're doing it as fans. So we, to me, in my opinion, we have to work twice as hard. And as I said, a couple of episodes ago, as far as, um, players that we can reach out to, uh, I probably have the largest Rolodex uh, in terms of, of people I've met over the years. And it's still not easy for me. It's not. There are there are times where getting guests to come on are very, very difficult. Okay. So when you listen to Darren's episode, the Sunday episode today, what I want you to I want you to listen to it with an open mind. And if you can, listen to it as someone who would create content not as someone who just is going to enjoy the extra content. Because when you listen to it like that, you might just say, well, who gives a fuck? It's more content out there, and that's great. And as a listener, you're right. But as someone who creates content, like myself, like Darren, like Alex, uh, one of the points that Darren's going to talk about today is pretty important to us as creators. So... I urge you to listen to that. I urge you to listen to all of Darren's episodes. Um, but when you listen to the episode that he releases today, go into it with an open mind because it, it's something that means a lot to me. It's something that means a lot to him. It's something that means a lot to Alec and all of us mom and pop creators. So uh, just listen to it and, and uh, think about it from our point of view. And I'll touch more on this next week. And I will probably touch more on this on social media this week because like i said this is something that affects darren it affects alec it affects me and you know it's just not cool it's dirty pool as far as i'm concerned and i didn't mean to rhyme there but listen to today's episode i wanted it to be released before i recorded this today but it's not so i haven't listened to it yet but i do know what he's going to talk about and uh like i said i stand by darren 100 percent he what, everything he said today even though I didn't listen, we've discussed it. I stand by him 100%, 100% right. And, uh, you know, like I said, we have to work a little bit harder. And I'm not saying that the bigger shows don't work hard. So please don't put words in my mouth. But we have to work harder. We have to secure guests. We do all our research on our own. We do everything on our own. We may help each other along the way, but it's pretty much I do the research for my show. Darren does the research for his show. Alec does the research for his show. We don't have a team. We don't have producers. We don't have everything out there that that the bigger name guys have. So um, it's an important episode to listen to as far as I'm concerned. And um, Darren, if you're listening to this, I stand by you 100%. You know I support you. You know I have your back. So uh, once again, listen to Fourth Line Voice podcast and check out the Fourth Line Voice YouTube channel. Uh, another show I alluded to, the Five for Fighting podcast with Alec Olin Salen. Again, original content. Alec has started doing his uh, Facebook Live episodes. And again, yes, I know people do stuff on Facebook Live all the time. Again, nobody's saying anyone's planting a flag here. But Alec's latest episode was a Facebook Live episode with Howie Rosenblatt. And that was really, I just actually finished listening to it this morning and it was fantastic. So uh, I urge you to go back and listen to that. And honestly, I am a little factually incorrect because he did a Facebook live episode on Friday with Sean Pete, which I did not catch uh, live, but I will catch it when he releases it on Tuesday. So 
Uh, latest episode he recorded was with Sean Pete. That will be released on Tuesday. Uh, latest episode available on your podcast um, platform is the Facebook Live episode with Harry Rosenblatt. And that was a really, really good listen. So uh, definitely check it out. And if you're on Facebook, Alec is the czar and creator of the Enforcer Appreciation page on Facebook. Uh, you definitely join that and um, enjoy the chaos. I mean, most of the people on there are good people, but, you know, there's always, uh, you know, social media is a microcosm of society. So while you may know some good people, you also know there are some people that maybe color outside the lines. So let's let's uh, that'll be the polite way of me saying it. So definitely check out that group as well. And again, check out Alex back catalog. Lots of good players on there and uh, definitely worth your time. Finally, the show's in hiatus, but the bucket drop. Excuse me, I get all choked up. The Bucket Drop Podcast with Bobby Longress is on hiatus. I would imagine he will be back uh, maybe a month or two whenever this season starts. Uh, Alec, um, God damn it. I got a lot of sleep last night, too. Bobby talks about primarily Montreal, Ottawa, and Toronto. Also talks about combat sports, talks about betting, uh, and, and they're quick episodes, 15, 20 minutes, so they're easy listens. listen to when you're running errands. You don't have to invest a lot of time like you do for my shows and Darren's and Alex. So it's a little bit different than the stuff I normally promote. But Bobby's a good dude. He's got another baby on the way soon, so I'm really happy for him and his wife. So definitely give the Bucket Drop podcast a listen, too. Now, I touched on this uh, YouTube thing a second ago, but if you've seen my social media especially my Twitter. I've been posting a GoFundMe for months now. My buddy Steve from whenprobertwasking.com is trying to bring back the old website, Drop Your Gloves. You've been on Drop Your Gloves. You know you have. You went there for fight cards. You went there for videos. Players have used it. Coaches have used it. Everyone's used it. And one day, the creator just pulled the plug. Nobody knows why. I don't know him. I've heard my share of stories about him. Hold on. i got to get some coffee here. Sorry about that. Um, Nobody knows the exact reason why he pulled the plug on the site, but it was really, uh, it was, the site was very important to fight fans. And Steve, who, like I say, is the rain man of of the hockey fight hobby because he remembers everything. uh, He he reached out to some website creators and got a quote of about $10,000 to rebuild it. And the thing you need to know about Steve is if he's rebuilding the site, it's going to be better than it ever was. It's going to be bigger. It's going to be better. It's going to be the real deal. Like he's a hundred percent invested in this. Now, the important thing about this is it's not just fight cards. Like I said, YouTube is taking content down from their site. I don't know why they're doing it. They're taking hockey fight content down. Steve had a lot of stuff on there. They removed it. There was another uh, big-time account on there that had a lot of fights on there. They just removed his entire catalog. So I don't know if this is uh, an avalanche that's starting. But part of what Steve wants to do is rebuild the site with fight cards, with fight content, and... There's really no reason why, if you can donate anything, you shouldn't. And when I say anything, I literally mean everything. Can you donate 20 bucks? Do it. Can you donate 10? Can you donate 5? Can you donate a dollar? Whatever you can donate, 
please do. And if you can't donate, which I completely understand as well, please go to my Twitter and retweet my tweets with the GoFundMe because your following is different than mine. And there could be someone on your following that doesn't follow me and will never see it. So please, if you can, go on and retweet that. And if you can, please donate. Please do. We are about, we're a little more than halfway there. So we still need a lot of help. So uh, any any help is appreciated. But like I said, uh, it's not just the fight card thing now. Now it's the content. You know, YouTube, for whatever reason, is targeting the hockey fight uh, content creators. And they're removing a lot of shit. So just a couple other things I want to talk about. Uh, in a couple of weeks on Netflix, there's going to be a documentary about the Danbury Trashers. It's part of their Untold series. Um, I think next week's episode is about... Um, Fuck, what's her name? I want to say Christy Whitman, but I think that's the former governor of New Jersey. It's a female boxer, like like really the first prominent female boxer. And uh, she's so prominent, I can't remember her name, which I apologize for. But uh, I know there was a lot of stuff with her husband. He was very abusive. And um, it seems like it's going to be a really, really good episode. The first episode they released was the Malice at the Palace episode. And that was... Um, involving the Pacers and the Detroit Pistons brawl from years ago. Um, full disclosure, I'm not a big basketball fan. The extent of my uh, affection for basketball really is uh, St. John's Redmen. I went there and, um, you know, I, I don't really follow it. I'll check on Twitter when they play their games and see how they did. But Ron Artest was one of my favorite players. And I have been saying, and people think I'm nuts, but for years, I have been saying this, you know, before Ron Artest was an athlete, he was a man. And as a man, I don't know how you sit there and take someone, you know, throwing a cup of shit in your face. I don't know if it was beer or soda or whatever, but I don't know how you're supposed to sit there and take it. And yes, I understand you're you're supposed to be above that. And listen, you know, in hockey, you have boards and glass In basketball. There's nothing separating you from the crowd. So if you're going to be a big shot and you're going to throw a beverage or something at a player, you might catch him on a bad day. And I've been saying it for years that I don't blame Ron Artest and I don't blame the Pacers at all. Okay. And I'm glad this came out because it was a very, as much as I don't really care for basketball, the documentaries, that are made about basketball are actually really interesting. So this was definitely a must watch. And I'm glad it came out because you really get all sides of the story. And I've seen a lot of people. And I mean, a lot of people on social media say that they've changed their tune about that. What happened that night. And it seems like more people are kind of agreeing with me. Not that, not that they're agreeing with me, but they're sharing the same opinion with me that uh, I think the Pacers got a raw deal and uh, a couple of players really got screwed. So um, definitely give that a watch. But the reason why I'm telling you that is because I definitely want you to keep an eye out for the Danbury Trasher episode. I believe it's the last week of August. And actually, if you're in the Danbury area, uh, check out their Facebook feed because they're actually doing a screening at the Danbury Arena. So it might be something you're interested in attending. Uh, other news, uh, Bridgeport Islanders and the city of Bridgeport have reached an agreement to keep the team in Bridgeport for the next decade. 
there is an article that was in um, one of the Connecticut papers, and to be honest with you, it was a lot of political and legal bullshit that bored me to tears. If you're an Islander fan on Long Island, you remember the debacle with Kate Murray and, and just what led to the Islanders going to Brooklyn. Whenever you get politicians involved, it's it's a fucking nightmare. But the um, that is a done deal. So the Bridgeport Islanders, it's still very, very weird to say Bridgeport Islanders. They will be in Bridgeport for the next decade. And apparently the city is going to renovate the arena. So uh, it's it seems like a win-win for the fans. Uh, you know, selfishly, of course, I was hoping they'd move the Bridgeport team to the Coliseum, but it's good for the people at Bridgeport. And if I really want to go see a game, it's like an hour away. So it's not, uh, it's not a tremendous hike to get up there. So, uh, so that's good news all around. So today's guest is Trevor Steinberg and Trevor Steinberg, uh, and I have known each other for a little bit. Uh, as I say in the episode, if you're friends with me, if you've been friends with me for any extended period of time, especially when the Nordiques were playing, uh, you know that the Nordiques were always my second favorite team. Uh, they always played physical. They always played tough. They always played in the shadow of the Canadians. And uh, it was just some, it was a team that I just really gravitated towards. They always had players I liked and not just, not just the physical players. Like we get into the episode, uh, I get into it with Trevor in the episode. We talk about the Stastny brothers and I was a big, big fan of all three of the Stastny brothers, especially Peter. I think, you know, Peter's the Hall of Famer. He's the best player of the three. But, you know, at, at the age I was, you know, young age, it was really cool to see three brothers playing on a line together. Uh, so it, really, I, I did really, I really love the Nordiques. And um, so for this series, the Talking Isles Enforcers with, I, I think I'm really going to try to get as many uh, ex-Nordiques on as possible, you know, because they played in the uh, Prince of Wales Conference, which is what I still call it. So they played the Islanders quite a bit, and their farm teams always played Springfield quite a bit, and uh, later on Capital District. So uh, I am going to try to reach out to some players that played in that organization because they could talk about the Islanders, talk about the fight opponents they had, but they can also talk a little bit about playing for Quebec or playing in the American League for uh, the Quebec affiliates. So selfishly, I can accomplish two things and I think still bring you quality content. Uh, Trevor was a great guest, very, very humble guy. Um, first round pick, former first round pick. And if you listen to him talk, you'd never, ever know it. He was actually picked in the same draft as a pretty prominent player. And uh, I'll let Trevor tell that to you. But uh, it was really, really fun talking to him about um, about the the players he fought we get into the rivalry with boston and montreal a little bit and um he's got some really good stories so um let's see let me check how long have i been yapping here 24 minutes okay so anyway listen uh, i really uh, appreciate steiny coming on with me uh it was uh it was phenomenal for me to talk I, I mean i love talking to all the guys uh i got uh, i'm in communication now with another player that i will hopefully be interviewing this week that i'm really really pumped about staggering penalty minute numbers for his career and i think that you people will enjoy it but again fingers crossed but he seems into it could be really good so without any more oh <laughs> no of course there's one more there's a part in the episode and i and i um I record in that in that part that I don't know what happened, but we had a glitch. So it might be about a minute or so that it, that wasn't recorded. I don't know why, but I just kind of uh, merged the two parts together. I didn't take anything out. 
that you know to kind of uh, what you would call it, like make a smooth transition. It's just you know the part of the interview, then me telling you what happened, and then I go right back to the interview. So uh, I don't think it'll throw you off at all. I just want to let you know I have no idea what happened, but uh, I don't think it takes away from anything. Trevor's got some good stories about some tough people, and um, I hope you people enjoy it. So here we go, my chat with Trevor Steinberg. Before there was the Colorado Avalanche, there were the Quebec Nordiques. And before there was a Matthew Steinberg, there was my guest today. So, ladies and gentlemen, it's my pleasure to introduce you to old-school player, old-school Quebec Nordiques player, Trevor Steinberg. Steiny, how's it going? It's going well, Joe. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. So, if you're not an old fart like me, you may not be too familiar with Trevor. You may actually know more about his son, Matthew, and we're going to talk about Matthew in a minute. Uh, but just I want to give you a little bit uh, uh, of information about Trevor uh, to, to familiarize yourself with him. Trevor was a first-round pick of Quebec in 1984. Trevor, did someone go first overall that year that people would know? Uh, Lemieux. <laughs> oh, yeah, Mario, right? He's pretty Yeah, he's Mario, pretty Kirk Muller, yeah. Yeah, yeah so 14 spots behind Mario, not too bad. A deep 14 steps <laughs> behind him. <laughs> um, Trevor played 71 career NHL games, all with Quebec, and, and if you're if you're friends with me, you definitely know this, but if you just listen to the show, you may not know this. Quebec was always my second favorite team. Uh, I always loved the way that they played. They always had physical teams. I always liked seeing Michelle Bergeron freak out behind the bench. He was always so feisty. and uh, So I always loved Quebec. Uh, not as much as the Islanders, but uh, I would love to get as many ex-Nordiques, ex-Citadels, ex-Express players on this show for talking Isles enforcers with as I can. And that's why I love having Trevor on the show today. And plus, he's a, he's a really good dude. Uh, Trevor played 71 games with Quebec, 8 goals, 4 assists, 12 points, 161 penalty minutes, played a, uh, a playoff game with Quebec also. This is all amazing stuff. Uh, you and I talked about this the other day. Like, I, I am so, like, I just, I'm always amazed. And I think as I get older, I appreciate more and more the accomplishments of people who do things that I can't do. And, um, you know, to play 71 games in the best league in the world, uh, especially with some of the players that you played with, uh, can you put that into words? I mean, it's it's hard. I mean, you know, there's, don't get me wrong. There's times I look and say, you know, I, I should have done better or this or that. But yeah, you're when you get to this level, every every all the skill and all the toughness, it's a dime a dozen, really. Everybody's got it. So you really do need to be a find a way to be of value to your team. So it's uh, it's something I think that I'm more proud of now than I was when I was playing because you're, you know, you're, you're judging yourself, but after it's all done, I kind of say, you know, I was pretty fortunate to have any games in the league really. Well, any games is one thing, 71 games. That's pretty impressive. But I, I think the cool thing about you uh, and I hope you don't mind me saying this is not your, your um, legacy as a player. It's probably the legacy post career, because uh, as I mentioned in the intro, your son, Matthew was drafted in the third round in 2019 by Colorado. The same year that Colorado drafted another son of a former NHLer, former guest of the show, Sean Byram, they picked Sean's son Bowen in the first round. So in the first two of the first three rounds, Colorado went the bloodline route uh, Matthew Steinberg, Bowen Byram. Uh, so, um, and I know you're a proud father. I'm a proud father. 
What was uh, what was it like emotionally uh, when your son Matthew got drafted by Colorado? It, it, it's really hard to describe because you, you do want to contain yourself, but it was. I got to admit, it was hard and it was really stressful up to the up to the draft because you know we didn't think he'd get drafted at all the year before, and uh, you know he was kind of undersized and so forth, and then it picked up a momentum, and then there was always the threat of what if he doesn't get out there and he doesn't get drafted, but we're confident he would but to go that early and then go to Colorado it, it was yeah it was it's was pretty awesome feeling and, and again you see how it affects your your son and you know so yeah I'm pretty proud of him he's gone he's come a long way for sure and uh for those that aren't familiar um Matthew is currently enrolled in the Ivy League he's playing hockey for Cornell correct <laughs> The, believe, the people that know me, that's hard to believe. But yeah, he's uh, he's at Cornell, and we're, yeah, and again, we're, that's something that's a it's a it's pretty awesome to have him at that school, and uh, that he worked so hard academically to get there and do everything, and he's there, and so it's the balancing of the school and the hockey right now is something that uh, uh, we're keeping an eye on. And uh, to continue with uh, what I was mentioning earlier with as far as your your hockey legacy uh, after you played, um, after a stint at uh, Dalhousie University and a stint with the Cole Harbor Colts, you were the head coach at St. Mary's University for 23 years. And to coach anywhere for 23 years is an accomplishment. Uh, I'm sure you heard it a bunch of times. Coaches are hired to be fired. It's that old cliche. But the the run that you had at St. Mary's, uh, and, and I mentioned it to you the other day, and the fact that if you think about the the players that went through that program, uh, you had to have an impact on so many lives of so many young men. Uh, what was that whole experience like being a, really a lifer at that school? Well, it was, I'll be, I'll be honest, <laughs> uh, Joe, coaching was the last thing I thought I'd get into. Um, I'm not, I'll be honest, I'm not sure how good I was at it, but I'll tell you, when I got started, I guess my career had kind of taught me, you know, a little bit more of the people thing, you know, you, you tend to be a little bit more compassionate and a little bit more understanding when you, after you've been through it all. And so when I, when I got into coaching, I was an assistant coach level, but I, I really started enjoying it. And I started, I actually started paying attention to the systems and, <laughs> and, and how to play the game. Right. And it's, it, it ended up just being a real thrill, but the university level is really fun because they're a little bit older little bit more mature and and at times they've already they love hockey you know that but there's that whole other element that these kids are trying to better themselves by going to school so it's a real yeah you get to see them really grow as people uh young men and and uh uh, more so than even as as hockey players but you know some guys go on to make it some guys go on and just raise a family with their degree but it's a pretty it's a pretty neat cycle for kids to go through so when you um, when you left the school when you retired, uh, I think you told me the other day you thought you were done with hockey. You were just gonna kind of sail off into the sunset, but uh, a, a new team had other plans for you. Is that right? Yeah. Well, I mean, if you as far as the, my scouting job, if you mean that, yeah, yeah. that was uh, after I I did. I did, again, I didn't think scouting was something that I would. Uh, would want to do either but uh because of the covid and so forth uh, we're in a bubble up here and and the scouts couldn't come up to the atlantic bubble uh so they started all the teams started having to hire you know if they wanted to scout this area had to find somebody inside the bubble so one of my ex-players mike dawson um who works for seattle right now he uh he put my name in and uh, i got a call from ron francis and 
they uh, they brought me on board. I really enjoyed it this year. Uh, an incredible bunch of guys, Robert Cron, Mike uh, Dawson, and uh, Ron and everybody, and I really enjoyed it. So um, fortunately, they've asked me to stay on with them again this season, and I'm quite excited about it. That's great. Congratulations. Appreciate it. So um, you're on here because uh, you played, I mean, the, the era that you played, that's uh, my most favorite era. You're in uh, the American League in the mid-'80s. You're in the NHL in the '80s, '90s. Uh, before that, though, you, you uh, honed your craft in the OHL. And uh, while you were with London, you played with a, a player who eventually landed with the Islanders. He played with a lot of teams, uh, but he did play a little bit with the Islanders, uh, and that's Bob Halkidis. Uh What memories do you have of playing with Bob? I got traded to uh, London. Uh, after I broke my hand the second time in Guelph. And when I showed up in London, uh, Bob was one of the first guys to meet me. He lived a couple doors down from me with another billet family. Um, but I drove to the rink a lot with Bob. Um, real good guy. Like, yeah, uh, big, strong, great kid. Had a, had a sick Trans Am, too, in junior, which was, yeah, he was the man. But uh, good player, tough. Uh, yeah, he was, I think he was with Buffalo at the time. But, mm-hmm. Yeah, Bob Halkis is a real good guy, good teammate. Um, if I don't, if I remember correctly, he used to like not tie his skates up in warm up, but really? I think like very loosely or very not at all. And I kept just shaking my head at him, like, <laughs> "What you know? What what are you doing?" But uh, no, he's a. Uh, in fact, I saw Bob Halkis last maybe two two summers or two years ago. He's scouting, and my God, I think he's into fitness now because he's lean and mean and looks good. So. For someone like myself who can barely skate, the thought of not tying my skates super tight and reinforcing my ankles, that whole concept of not tying your skates during warm-ups is just terrifying to me. Oh, me too. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I use as much ankle tape as the guy on the front lines of football team, and he just, like nothing, just like they were yeah. just hanging there, yeah. And he was, he did some weird things like that, but yeah, he was a, he was a good player in junior. He was a very, very good player. So uh, after being drafted by Quebec, he did, uh, he did spend some time in the American league, both in Fredericton and in Halifax. And um, probably one of the most wild, wild bench clearing brawls happened in Springfield. Uh, I've discussed it on this show uh, extensively when I had Mick Vakoda on as a guest. Uh, and I think people will know it as, uh, you know, Mick Vakoda was involved, Jacques Mayotte, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, just a wild scene. I know Jimmy Agnew was involved. Now, I don't think you were a major player in it, but you were there on the ice. Can you kind of take me through what you remember about that brawl? Yeah, I mean, it just kept escalating. It kept slowing down and start back up again. And all I remember, I remember Jacques Mayotte. I just remember, and I love Jacques. He just, he, there's a guy that knew his job. He loved it yeah. <laughs> under all circumstances. And he got in a fight, and then he, out of nowhere, this guy came back out, fought, and I think you I think you'd maybe said it was Dale Henry. Yeah, and I think maybe, I think somehow their heads must have touched, but Jacques Mayotte, I thought it looked like a piece of cherry pie been cut out of his forehead. <laughs> like, it was awful. He went to the bench. I, I thought this guy's, like, the, the brawl stopped when he got, like, it was like, oh, my God, this guy's really hurt to a white towel wrapped around his head and he came right back out. So you, you knew, Oh God, this is not stopping. 
but there were a few real good tilts. I, I, yeah, I think I paired off, but I, you know, it was really one of those ones where I was more in watch mode Mm -hmm. as a lot of guys were, because it was, I think it started off with the something between the benches, but I know Vakoda and Scott Shaughnessy, my roommate got in a fight and I can remember looking saying like, there's, there's 500 pounds of human being there (laughs) (laughs) trying to kill each other. (laughs) But it was a, yeah, it was long and it was, a lot of the guys were a little nervous because it was getting a little bit, I give a lot of the tough guys credit because they eased up a little bit when somebody, but you always get worried of those that there's somebody that might just take it a step too far with a vulnerable player. So I don't think anybody and nobody enjoyed it, but it was quite an event. Yeah. And even if you think about it, even back then in the, in the mid eighties, when uh, AHL teams were just loaded for bear, there's still 60, 65% of the team that, wants no part of an individual fight, let alone, you know, having 40 guys on the ice. It's it just it, absolute mayhem. So I would imagine for some of the some of the guys out there, first thing you do is you go pair off. And I don't know if you're a European, you go look for another European guy or you go <laughs> look for your buddy and just like just watch because uh, uh, it has to be, you know, to watch on. And it was a televised game, I mean, for for fight fans like myself, that was a uh, wonderful, uh, John Forslund narrated the whole thing. Um, but on being on the ice, I, that has to just, it has to be surreal, I guess at times. Yeah, it's, I, I think, I mean, I don't register myself as a tough guy, but I, I don't ever, you know, when I got beat up a lot and I wasn't necessarily, well, I really wasn't afraid to fight anybody because I always really always felt that, you know, if you got a ref there and everything like that, you know, by the time you're taking a real lick and somebody will come in and help or the ref will or the guy will stop. But I, I just, I think I've, other guys feel the same way. If they don't, I think they're crazy. But, you know, when those things start, you get some guy that's nervous or over a little bit too amped up on Sudafeds or something. Yeah. I mean, I've seen it happen. You've seen guys take advantage of it. And it just, that's something nobody likes to see. But, you know, we all want to fight and everybody loves it. I mean, we all love doing it at times and, and watching it, but you don't really want to see anybody hurt. So, uh, a guy that you, uh, I don't think you ever fought him, but you battled against him plenty, uh, be it in the, in the NHL or the American league. And now you have a connection to him, uh, through your son is another former guest of the show, the Colonel Brian Curran. Uh, what do you remember about the current, uh, the current, what do you remember about the Colonel and what is that relationship now through your son? Well, the Colonel is a guy that I, I, I think I watched more. I remember with the lease and so forth and just a huge man. Always, you know, just heard of him as a really good team guy and good guy and just a real character. And then uh, my, when my son and I went to, to the draft um, in Vancouver, he actually works uh, a little bit with Andrew Mahoney who represents Matt. And uh, so there was, there was the Colonel and the story started coming. Well, it was, I couldn't get enough of him. Like, I mean, he was just like a comedian, but he, you know, he very humble about everything, but what a huge man. The stories and stuff were just amazing. Like, yeah, it was a really fun time, but to, to actually sit down with him for like hours on end, you didn't want him to stop. The stories he's told you, some of the behind the scenes stuff was just, you know, how some of these fights even happened, you know, just was incredible and he's he's a warrior 
Well, and and if I if uh, if I can uh, offer a shameless plug, if you'd like to hear some of those stories that Trevor is talking <laughs> about, feel free to delve back into the back catalog for my two part series with Brian Curran. Um, <laughs> so so now we move on to Halifax, and um, because I uh, I like I said I, I do I do love the old Nordiques. I am going to ask you about a few guys later on that have no connection to the Islanders because. Well, it's my show, and I love those guys, but there is one guy that you played with in Halifax that does have a connection to the Islanders, another former guest of the show, uh, Brent Severin. So what was it like playing with a young Seve? Well, Seve was uh, – I lived with Brent. Uh, he was uh, here – What I mean, great roommate, great guy. I mean, he's just – he looks like a bodybuilder. Oh, the one thing I remember about Seve is I don't remember anybody being as committed day in, day out, or as steady or pulling the rope for getting better. He would just go down in that far corner of the Metro Center and do the iron cross, the circle work, you know, his inside edges, outside edges. You know, nobody's going to make fun of him because he's huge, but it was really, it was just methodical how he did it. And, you know, as as I moved on and he moved on, it was really neat to see, you know, I'm... I can remember kind of lining up before the game in Utica, before the game, and, you know, guys would be going, you know, what's this Severn guy like? You know, and I'd say, yeah, I pick on someone else, boys. <laughs> I know him. He's tough. Um, but real good guy. Like, I mean, he worked as hard as any human being could work to make it. Um, so, yeah, I got a lot of time for, for Seve. But what a massive man. And I think he came, he came from University of Alberta, I believe. Yeah, after junior, he went to, uh, he went to school. Yeah, and, uh, and he came in, took took uh, took the American League certainly by storm, really being tough and a good player, but um, certainly deserving of his career. Well, he told me a long time ago. He said, "I went to the Western League to learn how to fight. And I went to university to learn how to play hockey." So, uh, and I know his coach there was Claire Drake, who I know he just reveres. I know that's one of the one of the people that's high up on his list, if if not at the top of the list that he he credits with uh, anything he's ever done in the sport. I know Claire Drake is right up there as the people that he holds responsible for it. Claire Drake is a icon in university and CIS and deservedly so. I mean, he's that name. I knew that name. I've known it for over 23 years. It's been front and center and it should be. Now, uh, when you weren't in Halifax, you spent some time in Quebec uh, two players that you were teammates with. One is an old school Islander, and I think you were just a pup when he may have been on his way out. Uh, that was rugged defenseman Pat Price. What do you remember about Pat Price? Yeah, Pat was. Uh, Pat was. Uh, he was right at the end of his career when I was with Quebec. He was kind of funny because he was a pretty relaxed guy. Um, he felt that. Uh, he wasn't quite there at training camp because he needed the second towel to get around him after the shower, but he felt that he was right on track in his mind for the, for the start of the season. So I'm not sure if he could ever get to one towel, but I do remember him not, he, he didn't look bad, but he would, he always made fun that he was a little thick as his career was at the end. But I just remember him as being a real clown, but you know, when the came game time, you could see, you know, the old school hockey come out and, you know, his, him wanting to win, but, you know, always there for the young guys, yeah. for sure. And another guy that, that you uh, played with who, uh, as we were talking about yesterday, uh, his only ties with the Islanders are that he's an assistant coach now, and he's always, always mentioned as 
the next guy when when an assistant coach is going to be plucked from a team to be a head coach. Uh, his name is always mentioned, and and as I said to you, I think if it wasn't for the whole COVID fiasco, he probably wouldn't be with the Islanders right now. He probably would have been hired. He'd probably be manning a, a team's bench right now if it wasn't for COVID, and that was Lane Lambert. Yeah, Lane, uh, interesting story. I played with Wayne or Lane for a little bit when I was in Quebec, and then he he was up for negotiation, and he signed a three-year contract, and you know, we were all, hey, that's awesome, you know, and he was kind of fired up. It was a one-way, and I believe, and <laughs> later in the summer, they bought him out, and they went and signed somewhere else, so we were kind of going, how did you just do that? <laughs> but he was, uh, yeah, Lane was a guy that was, uh, yeah, he's a good player, but he, again, hard worker, good, like, you know, he'd be the guy if he got called up and say, hey, you know, Sunday, why don't we go to the gym, you know, do this or do that. You know, we all like to have our fun. But he was always a guy that uh, took his career very seriously and um, always there to help the young guys. But, you know, he wasn't one of the old guys, mm-hmm. but he was a little older than us. And that made it, uh, you know, he was our, our favorite vet type thing. I think what, what a lot of uh, the younger fans, they may not grasp fully are, are players like yourself and players like Lane Lambert, let's say, where, I mean, you're a first-round pick. You're a 15th pick overall. They obviously didn't pick you to fight. They didn't pick you to be, say, a middleweight and everything, but it's part of it's part of your game. I mean, Lane Lambert wasn't an enforcer by any stretch, but he would, he would have maybe seven, eight, nine fights a year. It was it was a different, I guess, the, the term team toughness, which now to me means – well, nobody really fights except maybe a, a guy or two and maybe seven or eight guys in the league. But I think in your in your era, team toughness actually meant something where you may have had a heavyweight or two heavyweights or three heavyweights, but then you, you had five, six guys that would end up having like maybe five to eight fights a year. And to me, that really defines team toughness as opposed to what people when people use it today. I can tell you that, yeah, that you hit it in the head. I, again, if I can tell a story, story here, and this was a, a talk about team toughness. I don't want to get too far off, but uh, I was in Halifax one year, and we had a team like Greg, uh, Greg Smith, Jacques Mayotte, uh Dan Vincelat, Kevin Kaminsky. I mean, the list just went on of tough, you know, Hopkins and so forth. And our coach, Clem Jodwen, we'd come off a road trip, I guess, and we weren't playing well. I don't know. And he, he came in after the second period, and he, he, he had a goddamn chicken on a leash. <laughs> he had a goddamn chicken on a leash. His legs were kind of harnessed together, so it couldn't really get a full stride. And then it was just <laughs> a live chicken. So he brought it in, and but he... First, he brought in a towel, and he and he laid the towel on the floor, and he said, guys, in his French accent, and a couple guys I know can do this, imitate it perfectly, goes, are we just going to lie down <laughs> in a French accent? And he laid down on the floor, and I was going, oh, God, shit, this is going to be a shit show. You know, just look around. So everybody starts laughing. He goes, you think it's funny? And then he goes in, he gets a... Like he goes into the trainer's room and he comes back out with a, a chicken on a leash, on a skate lace. It says, are we going to all be chickens? And I'm going, holy fuck, like what's going on? So the second period, we went out, like guys basically just left their stuff there. The poor Utica team probably didn't know what happened. Like they weren't seeing this coming. And 
And then all of a sudden, these guys, you know, the Sergio Berges, the, the Brett Severns, the, all these guys just lost their stuff because their coaches called them out. And there was, you know, again, we had about seven tough guys. And they might have had two or three. So by the end of it, even the Utica guys were going, what the hell's going on here in that dressing room? <laughs> but I just <laughs> one story afterwards. We all went out that night because I, after because it was a Saturday night and I, I can remember coming back in with, uh, I think it was Ken Quinney. <laughs> we're in the dressing room stretching. It was a day off. But just go in and, you know, hydrate. <laughs> the chicken was still in the shower. <laughs> still, still alive in the shower walking around. So I guess they hadn't had a chance to return it. But, yeah, there's that's an all-time classic. I'm, I'm a chicken in the room, yeah. But it was a it was a bad shit show after that, though. It was these animals that I played with just went loose in the second period. But anyways, that's, that's old time hockey. I, I wish, I wish I could have been with Clement like that day, you know, when he left the house or he sent the trainer to go somewhere to get him a live chicken. <laughs> yeah. You gotta, yeah, you don't just, you don't just, you don't just on the way to the store, you know, right. stop off at shoppers and grab a fucking live chicken. <laughs> like he put, he put some thought into this. Right. And that's, that's the thing. And like you, you say, like that's old time hockey. Like nobody today is doing that because then you'd probably have the PETA people uh, banging down the door and uh, health inspectors. and everything. I mean, to me, that is just, that's just nuts and bolts, old time hockey. It's the kind of thing that God, like if you made a documentary about the American league back then or, or Halifax or something, you have to put that in there. Like that's, that is a legacy story. It's almost like no matter what else he did in hockey, he's going to be remembered by a lot of people for bringing a chicken into the locker room. Can I tell one that's not really hockey story? It's a hockey story, but it's not on the ice. Tell whatever you want, my friend. Okay. We used to fly into new, into the States and we used to get, go on a day a trip. Like it could be 14 days, maybe, you know, yeah. whatever. So we we got this big uh, bus driver, really good guy, but he was six six, just a massive man, and he was a but just a good guy. Got along with the guys really well, and so he was riding, and you know, I don't know how the hell we so we we gave him uh, uh, track suits and shit like that, and so we were driving. I can remember this because a really long and uh, a really long trip. <laughs> I, I was sitting in about the middle of the bus and kind of snoozing a little bit. Um, it was getting the end of the day. I can almost remember it. And I remember it because there was a, everybody was looking for deer on the side of the road. So it was in Pennsylvania somewhere. And at times we'd look up and there'd be a whole bunch of deer on the road and on the side of the road. And it was pretty cool. And all of a sudden I realized that the bus driver is going back to go to the bathroom. Okay. And I looked out and I thought, well, the bus is going 65 miles an hour. <laughs> That's what I was going to ask you, who's driving? Uh, our, our trainer, our equipment trainer. <laughs> our equipment trainer, Scott Beckingham, mm -hmm. just slipped in the driver's seat and started driving. He went back and had a leak and then they just switched. <laughs> and I'm glad I don't know the guy's name and I'm sure he's retired now, but yeah, we just basically had our equipment manager in the middle of the state just go up, jump in the seat, and our dress driver go back and have a pee. And I'm something right about watching the <laughs> the bus driver go to the bathroom when it's going 60 miles an hour. But yeah, I just when I some of the stuff some people don't believe, right? They say that could never happen. That's just too wrong. It just did. 
Yeah. And it wasn't even a big deal, really. It was just, hey, the bus driver's going to the washroom. I, I, <laughs> I think, you know what it is? I think a lot of younger people, they, you know, they see what hockey has become, you know, what, what level the NHL has become. And even um, a residual effect, you know, how big the American League has become. But I, I don't really think unless you lived it, and I mean personally lived it like you, or, you know, being a part of it, or are old enough to have lived it like me as a fan, I really don't think that younger people can really grasp just the, the whole idea of the minor leagues. And, you know, you're talking about the American League. I can only imagine what it must have been like in the East Coast League. So um, I don't think people, younger people of today... Re- hey, everybody. Sorry to interrupt in the middle of the interview. Uh, no, this is not an ad. Uh, I just want to apologize. I don't really know what happened for about a minute, minute and a half. Uh, this part of the episode kind of glitched out. So um, it's really just me letting you know that you didn't miss anything. I don't know what happened during the interview, and I wasn't aware that it happened uh, until I was trying to piece it together. So uh, I do apologize. I don't really think uh, it takes anything away from the interview, but uh, I just want to let you know. So um, I apologize for this. This never happened before. And uh, now back to Trevor Steinberg. I've got mixed on it. I I actually, and I don't know if it's, I, I hear all these guys on TV and they're talking about what's that's that's uh, and I don't want to sound like I'm not sensitive to it here, but you know when a guy do something dirty, like step up and just rock a guy. I mean, I, I kind of I understand it. I got a son playing. I, I I I've been with kids and I don't want anybody to get hurt. But man, I'll tell you, there was nobody nobody stopping people from standing us up then or. You know, I can remember you. If you didn't fight, you could you could might get cross checked in the mouth or something. You know, and guys would go, "Hey, you had your chance to fight, and you didn't want to do it." You know, these hits that you see on that you see, you know, on Lindros and all these guys. Those those hits, you were man, you were the man after you had those hits. Mm. And now, twenty years later, x amount of years later, it's you're considered a horrible person for it, and that's re- <laughs> so. I got to keep my mouth shut because you know, sometimes I'll look and say. When I was in the minors getting hit like that, there was nobody sticking up for, for me or my teammates. You got hit like that, your teammates would even go, well, you got to have your head up. Uh, yeah. It was, yeah. yeah. So yeah. I, the game has changed so much. Yeah, like there's some things, like, I mean, the Greg Smith stories and some of the stories oh, yeah. where some of the, I mean, yeah, they're legends. They did most of the stuff, but you can't even think of doing that stuff now. No, and, yeah. and I, I'm fortunate uh, where I know a lot of the stories and, uh, and they are, they are unbelievable, but I know they happen, but yeah, I, I think a lot of it with today, and I'm sure this is something you had to deal with when you were coaching university is I think a lot of it today is social media. Uh, everybody has an opinion and now everybody has an outlet for it. And it's really weird. Like I have a hard time adjusting to the new age fan that, you know, it's like, well, Scott, you know, talk about Scott Stevens. Well, Scott Stevens was dirty. Scott Stevens was this. And I'm like, uh, no, I don't think he was. I think he was, he was someone that was very good at what he did, what he did. And like you say, the whole thing was keep your head up, keep your head up. Now, if you're Scott Stevens and you're throwing hit, hit after hit in games, there are going to be some hits that look questionable. But what I think what a lot of the new age fans do, they stop it frame by frame by frame. And I think since a lot of these people have never been on skates, they don't quite grasp the fact that if you're uh, – first of all, you're a guy like Scott Stevens, you're, you're just chiseled. Like say, talk about Seve. Stevens was the same way. You're going at a certain speed. You can't just stop on a dime. And – 
it, it sometimes it's it's frustrating for me when I read social media and I see these fans that I just I don't think they understand physics really about you're not going to get a 225 pound man going X amount of miles an hour to just stop. It's just not how it works. Yeah, I yeah, and I also find that you know people there's got to be some sort of gladiatorship out there. Mm-hmm. I mean. I mean, I may not even be being very, saying this is very popular with a lot of the guys, but a lot of the guys I talk to personally, they kind of the same as, you know, you're going to make eight to ten million dollars a year for you know x amount of years. You know, I mean, you, I get it. Nobody wants anybody to get hurt, hurt, but it's I almost feel like well, you're giving space to some guys and giving no space to others, and and I I don't know if I explain myself well but it just seems like it's gone completely the other way and they're mm-hmm. they're trying to to attract every single fan mm-hmm. and that's not what we should be doing we should be looking for true hockey fans and they i think they like a physical game i do and i don't like the cheap stuff i don't like the brawls you know i don't like fights that are staged i like them to have in the heat in the heat of the moment type thing but you know I do think it's a very hard game to referee at the set the speed, and I think that the players do need to have a, some form of governing themselves. Oh, absolutely, and and uh, that's one thing I've been I've been uh, saying for decades is the league. Obviously, you know, I think w- what other people fail to realize is the league is a business, so the league is only really concerned about themselves. Um, it's a it's money maker, you know, and the the uh, owners appoint a commissioner, and they want him to grow the game and make money and. The, the whole idea of appealing to someone that's not in an NHL city who, you know, at that, at that age, if you're 15, 16 and you've never watched hockey, you, know, you might not really pick up the game. I, you always hear people go, oh, I can't follow the puck. And I always felt like instead of obviously from the business aspect, you want to pick up more fans. But I always felt like as a, as a, a real hockey fan, it's always like, well, not what about me, but like, you don't give a fuck about me. Like I've been watching your product for all these years. I like the product. I like the, the physical nature of it. I like that some guys go out there and if they try to do something untoward that another guy's going to hold them accountable, that, you know, it's, it's frontier justice. I'm not really interested in, well, this guy did something and now nobody did anything, so we're just going to wait until he has a hearing in Toronto and gets suspended. You know, I never, I never really felt like that was much of a deterrent. And I think Kelly Chase said it best on the, the uh, Ice Guardians, where he said, you know, a fine isn't a deterrent, um, suspension isn't a, isn't a deterrent, but Bob Probert and Joe Koser, those are deterrents. And, and to me, nobody said it better. I think, I think that is hockey in a nutshell. Yeah, there's no question, and I mean, I you know, you have to let them, you have to let them govern themselves, and and to a point, it's so fast, and I, I I do think you're you're right. They're trying to get away from what the game has been like, and they're trying to change it too much. And something was said that was really funny, and I thought the guy was just being a smart aleck, but I've actually have adapted it. You know, you hitting from behind. If you if you truly want to get rid of it, this is this is my buddy talking with six beers in him. <laughs> Allow it. I said, "Oh, that makes a lot of sense." And he goes, "It does." If you allow that, don't make it a penalty. Who's going to go in so carefree? Mm-hmm. But I don't ever remember back in my early days ever remember being hit from behind. Right. I never remember that. But why is it now that they that they're making such a big deal of it right now? 
but there's tons of there's tons of uh, examples of these guys going in and catching a guy from behind. I don't remember that 30 years ago. No. So my thought was, is there's a respect factor there. And, you know, I'm saying guys now you do, you can, you can take the puck is, you know, and do a cutback along an offensive, you know, hash marks and jump back up. But some guy tracking you bad, hard back could get hit. And if that's a headshot, yep. I, I, that's where I have a real hard problem with it. I just, I just think that they've, customized it now to to the other way but i don't ever remember being hit from behind a long time ago and i and all of a sudden now they've it's all it's talked about yeah and they're giving suspensions out left and right i think it's just respect the players got to start getting earning back yeah and i think you're 100 percent right and even if you go uh a generation before you players didn't even wear helmets and there was no uh rash of head you know you never heard about concussions and obviously i'm sure Without a helmet, players were concussed at times, but it wasn't an epidemic. And there was a respecting because if I'm playing against you, I'm not going to cheap shot you because you're not wearing a helmet. Neither am I. So if I want to fuck with you, then you're going to probably come back and and screw with me or one of your teammates is going to do it. So you could battle and you were competitors. And, you know, hockey in the 70s and even before that, it was really violent, but it was violent with respect. Whereas time has gone on, everyone's wearing helmets. It's a mandate now. You have to wear helmets. The, the equipment now, for as streamlined as it gets, uh, you know, it, it's lighter, it's lighter, it's bigger, it's bulkier. You're almost like a football player out there. So I just don't think – I think respect is a big issue. And I think what happens is because you're taking the policing out of the player's hands, there's less respect because you can have a guy run around – and no, no one's going to touch me. I mean, unless you're playing any one of three or four teams nowadays. But a guy knows he can run around and be a rat. And eh, maybe I'll get a call from the league, but probably not. Yeah, I actually, I actually, if, I don't remember who I had. It was, I can actually remember, you know, both sides of this going out and saying to a guy, you know, bud, this is my first shift. I'm not out here to, to play here. You know, you want to run around. I've heard guys say, you know, yeah. screw you, bud. Like, it was a clean hit. And I, I've said the same. I've got to come out to, you know, when you're trying to get a little ice time here, and you're going, you know, guys coming out after a hit you made, and you go, bud, there was nothing wrong with the hit I gave. You had a young kid, with, you know, didn't have his head up. I hit him. I hit him fair. It didn't hurt him. You're coming out here. So that stuff I don't necessarily like. But, you know, when you cross a line, there should be consequences. And I – you know, we all played in that era and I guess we're just used to it, but it, it's, it's, it's fair. Yeah. It's fair. Yeah. It's, it's, this is pro. Like that's why they lose it. Yeah. It's pro. These guys are out there, you know, being warriors. You gotta, there has to be some physical play. That's what, you know, that's the excitement around. That's the playoffs. I mean, if you look at the last four teams standing now in the last few years, they're all big, strong, very, they play all play a heavy game. They all have, you know, four defensemen that are six three, six four. You know, um, so I, I like to see that because, it, but there's some teams that are going, you know, the other direction. Well, it's always good to get it from the perspective from someone like yourself, played at many different levels, and for for you especially. And it's like talking to some of the old school Islander players. You actually played when there were rivalries, and my contention is there aren't any more rivalries, but obviously I'm partial to the Islander Ranger rivalry, but since I did like Quebec, Quebec had, I mean, the whole Adams division 
was a rivalry, but I think your two biggest rivals, obviously, if you live through it, Montreal and Boston. And whenever the Nordiques played the Bruins, Trevor Steinberg always managed to be in the middle of some shenanigans. And uh, you had many different partners on the Bruins, but one guy who you seem to fight more than anyone is a former Islander, Bob Sweeney. Uh, was there anything personal with that, or is it just two guys playing hard and it was a result of the game? No, they're nothing. In fact, I I think if I summed it up the best way is, you know, they had their heavyweights, we had ours. I think both of us found in the fact that, you know, nobody wants to go in and, you know, start challenging a guy that's smaller than you or doesn't. In, and Sweeney's a big guy, and I, you know, he just, he, he made me a little bit, feel a little bit less guilty if you're going to go out and try and start something. You know, I had less, <laughs> I had less luck with buyers, you know, so I <laughs> a mean, lot of I, people that's, did. A, that's a big tree to try and chop down. And I, you know, but I give, you know, I give Lyndon Byers credit. He did his job. He was awesome. But, you know, he was, he was a little bit much for me to handle, you know, and so I didn't realize three times that I'd fought Sweeney, but I kind of remember them, but you know, something happens off face off and he's right there and you go. Right. But, uh, you know, I, 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 I was more in his league, although yeah. I don't think he was, uh, uh, he he was tough for me, but the, the other guys like buyers and stuff that was a that was a big task, you know. Jay Miller and Donnelly and all those Karkners and so forth like that. Yeah, there were some pretty rough games. What what was that like? I mean, because obviously, you know, you used the word gladiator, and and I you know I always use the word warrior stuff like that. And this is when for me hockey was its most fun. But and and there's there is a difference as a, as a player in that Nordique dressing room, there is a difference going into say Bloomington to play the North stars and going it, going either into the forum or, or playing at home against Montreal. Like what, what is that intensity like prior to a game against the Canadians or even the Bruins? Um, Oh, you could feel it. I mean, there was, I mean, I, it was a real neat night. The one that, Bobby Orr's statue was actually there. I, I got kind of flown in just for that game. It wasn't, it wasn't to see Bobby Orr's statue and all that. And, uh, yeah, it, you could just tell. That, that was still with the Boston Garden. So, I mean, yeah. never, it was an awesome, like, experience. Yeah. But, yeah, they, it, you could just feel the tension. I mean, you could feel the tension in, you know, before, the, you know, Donnelly's and guys like that who were, I got nothing but uh, good things to say and time for them man, there's a tension. They had a job to do and they knew it, you know, mm-hmm. Gord, Gord Donnelly and these guys and Richard Zemlax and they knew they had a job to do going in there and you could feel it. And, you know, it was, it was kind of funny because I think that they were higher in the standings than us by quite a bit, but we did have some pretty good games, but they were, you could feel the tension for sure, especially in the gardens. Yeah. Uh, and what about Montreal? Because obviously, you know, I always equated to being an Islander fan, you know, for a long time, Islanders are in the shadow of the Rangers. Now, obviously, you're playing in Quebec. Nordiques are in the shadow of the big, big, bad, mighty Canadians. Um, what were those games like? Because uh, it seemed like you tended to be more active or, or ended up, the end result in the fighting was more against Boston. But you don't have to fight in the game for it to be an intense game. There's a lot of hitting. There's a lot of cheap stuff going on. What was it like playing playing Montreal as a member of the Nordiques? Um they were good. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was pretty neat to tell you the truth. Like I, I got brought up one game and this is kind of, I, 
I hope people take this the right way. I don't think a, a heck of a lot of the career was outstanding, but the one game I got called up was, it was kind of neat because I took a pass. I was going to change and I got a pass and I ended up going in and taking a slap shot and I scored on Pat, Pat, Patrick Waugh. And uh, a little bit later in the game, um, Clinton Larchuk came out to, uh, to play a puck and Cordic ran him over. Huh. So, I mean, I was the closest one. So I went and, you know, I didn't do, we, it happened, we fought, no big deal. And it was, uh, it was unreal. Like it was kind of the neatest feeling in the world at that point. You know what I mean? That's probably the highlight of my whole life was scoring there, getting in that fight. Yeah. But it was, it was just like, you just, it wasn't even an option it, it, with those two teams on the ice if you gave up that opportunity to do that, you'd regret it for the rest of your life because finally you got someone like Cordick runs your goaltender. And I actually looked around and said, okay, I'm probably going to get beat real bad here, but <laughs> I'm the closest one here. Yeah. This is great. Like nobody else gets this. Mm-hmm. So no, I didn't, uh, obviously it's not like I was wailing away at him, <laughs> but it, you know, to, to me anyways, to some guys, that's nothing. But to, to a guy like me, after it's all said and done, it's kind of neat to be able to say you did that. And I kind of joke, people say, did you score on Patty? Patrick Waugh, and I said, no, I, I, I went five-hole on Pat Roy. <laughs> I'm not going to give him the satisfaction <laughs> getting the accent. Now, but, please tell me you have that puck somewhere at your house. I don't. Oh, God. No, oh. no, no. And I tell you, another thing I did is I had, I had three, and not I don't collect a lot of stuff, but yeah. I had three sticks, Mario, Anton, and Peter Stastny's sticks. And I don't know what the hell I gave him to my my doctor's son. Oh boy! <laughs> yeah, and I was, and I'm I think he used him for road hockey. <laughs> so, but I think you know that to me that was kind of neat too with yeah. all those guys defecting oh, and stuff yeah. of those three and to have all three other sticks. You know, there's you know Mario's as well. You know, well, the three of them, but I I lost them. Well, um, for I I don't know. This is for you and also for for people listening. Uh, I was a big fan of the Stastny's, even though I'm not a huge fan of a lot of European players. Uh, it's hard to be a fan of Quebec and not not love those guys. And NHL Network actually did a special on the whole process of them defecting. And it was one of the most interesting things I'd ever watched. I don't know if you ever saw that, but I would definitely look for it if you haven't. And actually, I think a player that, that you played with, uh, did you play with uh, Ivan Matulik? Yep. Good yeah, guy too. Yeah. He's got yeah. his story is amazing. His story of the, def- I mean, uh, talk about like, we talk about guys that are warriors on the ice in the sport of hockey. Like what, what, what Ivan went through and what the Stastny's went through and all those players defecting at the time, that's real life stuff. Those are real people with real guns and real risk. Like those are, that's why I tell Ivan all the time. Like that is a warrior. Like you're a warrior. The Stastny's what they had to go through. That's real life stuff. That's that's dangerous stuff. So all the oh, respect man. in the world to those guys. I mean, that's well, real, real dangerous stuff. We had two guys come in. My yeah, it was my first year, I think, in Halifax, or I went in uh, Fredericton, and Ladislav Tressel and Yaroslav Sevsik both defected. You didn't hear much of them because both of them are in the minors. Mm-hmm. I don't know what's happened to Ladislav Tressel. I think uh, he had a tough time there for a while, but. Mm-hmm after and so i'm not haven't kept in touch with him but yaroslav sevsik is here he's married he's got two 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 daughters wonderful people 
And they went through an awful lot too. Yeah, that yeah. was back in that was back in eighty five, eighty six type thing. So, yeah, there's a big story there, and I think you're right. People don't realize that that is that's crazy stuff. You know, defecting, having a country. You know, people like that looking for you or threatening you or you know challenging your family back home. That yeah. to me, that's almost gut wrenching. Yeah, so I would recommend if if anyone uh, if anyone sees that come across the NHL Network with the with the Stastny brothers, definitely watch it because it's it's an eye opener. It's an eye opener for sure. And I think that uh, there's that Russian five special, and I think they talk a little bit about uh, Fedorov defecting, and and it's it's pretty intense. Like I think for for people here in the states and people in Canada, uh, with with the way that we're the freedoms that we have. Uh, I think we take a lot of stuff for granted. And when you watch something like this with these people coming from other countries and the process of them just getting out of the country. And then, like you said, so you're okay now you're, you're in Canada, you're in America, but now your family's still back there. Like that is, that's something that is, is pretty unimaginable at the time. And uh, that's why I, you know, people like uh, Ivan and, and the Stastny's and all those other players, like you had mentioned that came over that that's real life stuff. So that's uh, I have a ton of respect for them. So. Yeah, and it was, you know, you could feel for them, too, you know, once they could learn to speak English a little bit better, they could kind of explain this to you a little bit better, and then you realize, man, we are so spoiled over here, mm-hmm. like, you know, we're not worrying about that stuff, you know, yeah. safety of our parents because of an action that we did by just going to play hockey, right? Yeah. Um, so the next player I want to ask you about is someone that uh, I think you first played with him in New Haven, and then you may have played with him later in Springfield. And I know when I mentioned him, you got all happy. I think he's one of your favorite people that you met through the game. And it's actually someone that I, I want to get on the show now that I've been able to track down a few of his scraps. Uh, that's Vern Smith. What are your memories of playing with Vern? Vern Smith, yeah, Fredericton. He's from the Fredericton area, I believe. He lives there. He's a physiotherapist now. But, um, yeah, it, was new, it might have been even New Haven, yeah. But he was uh, – there was a guy named Al Tour, and the mm-hmm. three of us kind of hung out, and Al, call, Al and just started to call him Dusty Rhodes. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, I don't know, Vern was just – it's almost like Vern, you know, he knew he, he, knew he could be successful away – as a physiotherapist and getting into the sciences and stuff like that, it just seemed like he loved his hockey career and he did anything. I mean, I, I, I don't remember a ton about his game. I just remember he'd do anything, blocking shots, you know, whatever, whatever had to be done. Mm-hmm. Vern was there and he never in a bad mood, never in a bad mood. And I keep in contact with him a little bit. I came down when I brought St. Mary's down to, to uh, RPI. He drove over there and, you know, went in, saw him after, before and after the game and stuff. But yeah, Vern's a really, really, really good guy. And he's, he's done well for himself. His son played hockey here in Moncton for the Moncton Wildcats for a year. Oh, nice. Um, but I guess he's kind of given up his hockey stick for a guitar. And I hear he's unbelievable. Really? Oh, I'll have to look yeah, that up. Yeah, son's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, very cool. Um, one guy who, uh, while you were with New Haven, one guy who you battled with uh, was with Capital District at the time, former guest of the show, uh, Graham Townsend. Uh, it's a pretty interesting story that you told me about this fight with Graham. Uh, not so much the fight, but uh, the aftermath. Could you take me through that story? Yeah, well, uh, Graham, I don't know, Graham and I squared off. It was in Troy. I can remember it was in Troy, uh, New York and CDI, I guess, and um, fight was a fight. I don't know. They're after the refs had grabbed us both. I hate putting it down. I, the only reason I say I was on top is because I was getting up. Mm. Um, 
And as Richard Shirley, the linesman who was from Nova Scotia, he was there. And as I was getting up, you know, of course, Graham was probably saying something to me. I was saying something to him, but we both quit at that point. And I remember, you know, kind of just rotating because I was standing over and I was going one way. Well, Richard Shirley is pulls me the other way. And by doing that, I crossed my crossed over to keep my balance. And I, I guess I stepped on Graham's ankle or uh, leg or something. And uh, anyways, he lost his marbles. Obviously, if you yeah. thought I did something like that with Skateblade. And uh, I think at the moment, I, I wasn't going to concede to him. I didn't do it on purpose, maybe. But, yeah. you know, I didn't. I, it was completely by accident. So I got in into the uh, penalty box, and Richard Shirley's going, Jesus Christ, Donnie, you didn't do that, did you? That was, Jesus Christ, did you step on him? I said, no, Richard, I didn't. I said, you pulled me. And he said, what did I do? And he started to give me a hard time, and he winks at me, and he goes, I'll tell you what. I said I won't give you. I won't give you the extra if you give me. But you got to make sure I get a pair of those gloves. They're sick. They're the <laughs> L.A. black black Sherwood gloves. They're black, mm-hmm. white with silver trim on them. Yeah. So I'm sitting in the box here, going, "Okay, so I'm getting a <laughs> match penalty, <laughs> or, or I got to give you a pair of fucking gloves." Yeah. And that's basically what it was like. But I think he knew I didn't mean it, and yeah. you know. And anyways, it was. But yeah, that's there's again in American Hockey League. Where else does that happen? You know, you're <laughs> negotiating over a pair of gloves in a match penalty. Oh. So did he get the gloves? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, actually, I did. I did, anyways. I mean, yeah. you're going to give a guy a pair of gloves, right? Just for that, anyways, right? Yeah. But yeah, of course, I I would give him a pair. He's actually a police officer here for a long time, which my cousins are here in Halifax, and he just did games in the American League. Uh, so two players after New Haven, you moved on to Springfield where you finished your career. Uh, one player I want to ask you about, and I, I, w- I won't call him what I called him when I, when we were chatting, cause then it'll ruin the story, but, uh, he only played five games with Springfield. Tell me what you remember about big daddy, Bob McGill, big daddy. Well, first of all, you, when you come in the dressing room and, and your name's big daddy, you, you get attention. Yeah. And he came in, and uh, he, nothing like you thought. Mm. Funny, like, you could joke around with him, everything, like, but, you know, you still knew coming in. You recognized him, because when I was younger, I used to watch him with the Leafs. And yep. Here's big Bobby McGill, and I, you know, we started hanging out a little bit, and, you know, and all the guys kind of, we had a pretty good group of guys there, and he shows up. He had the, he had the gear, man. He had, like, <laughs> Tight leather pants, and I thought if there's any reason for Bobby's going to beat me up, it's because I'm making fun of his leather pants. But uh, not, I couldn't. I mean, they were just fucking NHL pants, man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. like I mine are uh, suede or you know, <laughs> some other material, but he had literally like leather leather outfit on, man. It was something, and so and thank God he took the kidding really well. But again, another guy that came down you know, adding to the toughness of the team. <laughs> but, yeah, he was a really exceptional guy, but nothing like you'd think, like when you see him on the ice, and then to meet him when he's kind of not thinking hockey, yeah, he was a nice guy. I think you have to be tough to wear leather pants because especially going into a locker room with 20 other dudes, you know someone's going to say something. I know. If I wore leather pants in that dressing room, I'd have laughed out of the dressing room. <laughs> hey, let's just say 
Bobby was only there for five games. Yeah. He wore them more than once. So nobody <laughs> laughed at him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, another guy who you played with down there who uh, I think at this point was still pretty raw and then went on to put up some staggering penalty minute numbers after after he left the Hartford organization was Barry Nykar. Uh What do you remember about playing with Nykar? Uh Barry, his first year. Uh, Barry, I lived with Barry, good, really good guy, uh, really enjoyed Barry, big, huge guy, really didn't come up the conventional way, I don't think, I don't know how he came through the system, but it was kind of one of those, like a, I think it was a weird one, like a, the way Serge Roberts came out, it wasn't like coming from the Western League or anything like that, it might even been used to university, but Barry was just an overgrown, big, huge guy, um, really nice guy, and his first year, he really... He struggled badly, actually, at the fights. He just, he just, probably like me, didn't like getting punched. <laughs> but he, uh, he got. We were in an exhibition game, and he got his stop of his hand stepped on. And when he came back to the bench, uh, that's the first time I've seen a lot of stuff. I almost got sick because the skate had gone right across the top of his hand. So oh, his his hand opened up when he made a fist. Of course, it stretched it out. It opened up about the size of your like the width of your iPhone. Oh, wow. Like, yeah. And all you could see was tendons and stuff. And so anyways, with, with me having to live, uh, having living, living yeah. with him, you know, I saw him, uh, go through therapy. He got the, you know, he got a, an operation on it. It looked like there was a golf ball underneath his skin. It was so much scar tissue built up there. Wow. And he had, uh, like things that went over his fingers and then had elastic bands through each of his fingers. So he, he could just barely move them. He had no feeling in anything. So the next year he came back and he wasn't overly tough then, but he wanted to be. And I think he was getting frustrated, his confidence with his hand. I retired uh, gracefully after I got my ass kicked at the end of the year and <laughs> figured I was done. And uh, the next year, um, you know, I keep in contact. He was, I think, in St. John's. Yeah. With four and 500 minutes and was just absolutely annihilating guys. And I kind of joke with him. He just said, I don't know, Trev. He says, I just got to the point where I either just broke through that barrier of some sort because he was so strong, long arms, big guy. And he just, I don't know, all of a sudden after two years, he just got it. And then he was a real force to be reckoned with. But I've kept a hold of him uh, a little bit. I think he's with he got a cement company that he works with, cut cement and so forth with his brother. But Again, really humble guy, and again, really, really neat to see him go on and be as tough as he was there for the time he was after I'd uh, after I'd settled down, but or retired. Sorry. Yeah, and I think he's pretty much uh, <clears throat> oh, excuse me a legend over in uh, Great Britain. Uh, what he did over there, uh, you know, fighting everybody, and and I know he pissed a lot of people off on the other team. So uh, so I don't think you can really talk about. Uh, enforcers over in Great Britain without mentioning Barry's name too. So uh, no, and Barry, Barry, big guy, nice guy. But see, Barry would. I remember one day we were going over in Springfield. And we were we were going to the other another rink to practice. Well, Barry was the guy. He would play a joke on you, but he wouldn't. He's just too nice a guy. So he, you remember the aluminum sticks? Hey, yeah. slide the thing in. Well, Barry would. You know he. He couldn't even do the joke, right? Because he'd be giggling like a six-year-old. <laughs> but he'd, he'd heat the stick up, he'd pull it out, and then he'd saw the the nub of the the, the part that goes into the yeah, steel yeah. part. Mm-hmm. They'd stuff it back in. Well, then, of course, you take one shot and it breaks, right? <laughs> yeah. 
so yeah. so he always came in early. We always I lived together, so we always come in really early. Well, I would go in and ride the bike, and this is when he did that. So I go in and ride the bike in the morning, and you know do whatever, and then I come in. So I go to grab my sticks. Well, it wouldn't take a genius. Yeah, sticks hot. Yeah. I grabbed it right at the right spot. It's hot. So I know what he did. We're getting ready to go to this other ring. So he then gets his stick. So he goes there. Well, I could tell the way he was giggling like a little idiot that he did something. And I knew. So I just went and saw all his sticks. <laughs> and then, yeah, I did. But I made the fatal mistake of saying, you know, Nick, Nick, you're too dumb to even finish it off. Like, you did one. I got another stick. So when we uh, went up there, he had none of his sticks, right? He broke yeah. one, then two, then three. Well, then he's using somebody else's stick and coach is giving him shit because he's, you know, messing up drills and stuff. And I said, you got to be smarter, Nike. And then, so I'm joking with him. Well, I'll be honest, like Joe, then, then I never woke up with no garlic under my, in my toothbrush, everything. Like he just took it to the next level after <laughs> that. But yeah, he's, he's a good guy. And like I said, he's a, ended up being real tough. I don't know what happened to him over in Europe, but um, he was a good roommate and uh, just needed to be smarter with his jokes. <laughs> well, he's someone I would definitely like to reach out to to get him on the show. Uh, I would love to, to chat with him because, like you say, once he once that switch flipped and he, and he got it, so to speak, I mean, the numbers he put up were just insane. So Yeah. Well, his, uh, I'll tell you, you know, some people say, oh, an injury in your hand. This was more than an injury, man. I never oh. signed anything like that in my life. Like, it's going to cause him problems. But yeah. I could see how for at least a year you, you wouldn't even want to You'd want to keep that thing tucked underneath your arm almost. It looked, yeah. looked horrible, yeah. Wow, that's crazy. Um, the, so the final guy I want to ask you about uh, that you played against, and then I want to ask you about a couple of your teammates. Um, I don't even think so much the fight. I, we had discussed Ian Herbers, and Ian played a, a game or two here with the Islanders, so he's a short-term Islander. Uh, but, it, but back down in the American League, especially coming up with uh, Cape Breton, uh, as a big, strong boy trying to make an impression, and uh, you played against him. Uh, what are your memories of playing against Ian? Well, I, I really only have one memory, and I, 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 I think if it was me fighting him, it would have happened in Halifax, but mm-hmm. I think um, the year that they won the uh, Calder Cup, I think he was in Cape Breton that year. Mm-hmm. Anyways, I it was in Springfield, and I was very limited ice time at that point. Um, that was my last year, and I don't. It, one thing I could do fairly well, like I, I was fairly physical, like I, I could hit, and I could catch guys sometimes with their head down and so forth. But you know, I wasn't quite as well at backing it up, but. I saw this Herbers guy, big guy. He was yeah. in the corner, and you could just tell he had to fish a puck out from his le- from behind. It. And I'm looking at him as a roast beef sandwich. He's huge, but yeah. he's just sitting duck. I know he's got th- three seconds of prep work <laughs> to get that puck, mm-hmm. and I had less than three seconds to get to him at full speed. So it was just it had all the makings for me probably getting another shift and me. You know, having a rock'em sock'em hit of the week, maybe. <laughs> if I hit him, I thought I killed him, but I, I basically, I never hit so hard. I, he hit me in the, like, he counter checked me. Yeah. And I, I, I don't know. I wasn't knocked out, but there wasn't <laughs> any air in my, there was no oxygen in my brain, and I cramped up like that. So I actually had to mention it to him during the series after when they won the Calder Cup and joked around about him. But he uh, he then went on to 
uh, coach U U of A mm-hmm. for one year, and um, so we we played each other in a, in the at the nationals, and they won. Um, but it was an interesting, you know, he had a pretty good team there, and but he was a, just a big, huge guy. But they won the Calder Cup that year. But yeah, I never thought I could get that badly hurt actually being the the offender of the of the hit. <laughs> Well, and it's, I'm just thinking about it now. I mean, Ian Herbers was a young guy at that point, big, big dude. Uh, I can only imagine because you know who else was on that team in Cape Breton, another big dude that we talked about already, Brian Curran. He was on that team too. So as far as physical defensemen went, Cape Breton was pretty stacked at the time. Yeah, and if I'm not mistaken, they, geez, they might have had Cordic at the time too. I know we spent another... some time there. I, I don't know if Francois LaRue was there either. He might have been there too. Yeah, that son of a bitch hit me too <laughs> with an open ice hit. Yeah, he was huge too. His ass hit me right yeah. in the chest. Yeah, he was a big. Guy. Yeah, and I actually I got in a fight with him too. But yeah, he was tough. Yeah, like yeah, he was. He's huge. Yeah, yeah, he was. I think it was his first or second year. But yeah, he was a uh, he was a pretty physical player. I think he went on to play for Pittsburgh. I think. Yep. Mm-hmm. So now I'm getting to the point in the show where I'm taking my poetic license. I'm steering a little bit, well, completely off of my Islander theme here because I'm going to ask you about four players that you played with. I Honestly, Steiny, I could ask you about 15 guys because, I, you know, like I said, I, I love the organization. But I narrowed it down to four guys. Um, two of the guys, I, I did my own Quebec Nordiques. Uh, Mount Rushmore, and, and the first two guys I'm going to ask you about are, are members of that Mount Rushmore. Uh, and the cool thing is, I think th- th- you played with them at different stages of your career. So the first guy I want to ask you about is Gord Donnelly. Uh, he had a, he had a few years on you, and uh, and you played with him as as a young kid. Uh, I think Gord Donnelly, as far as being a tough guy, is grossly underrated. Uh, I would just like to know what are your memories of playing with Gord. Gordy, good guy. Uh, again, Gordy was, I always kind of put him in that thing with like Elaine Lambert. He might have even been a little older than him, but Gordy's all about, you know, any of you guys that, you know, he, he very much positively reinforced guys that were team guys. And, you know, we all had a little bit of an edge, so he was pretty good about it. He knew our different levels of, you know, <laughs> effectiveness, but he, he was a good guy, lefty. I do remember, um, always liking him. I still talk to him every once in a while. Now he's scouting for Chicago, I think. And he, uh, he got traded to Winnipeg and and that was really weird because they came back right away. And, um, it was just an awkward situation where he, he came out and I was like, okay, he maybe Winnipeg sending him out to do something. And of course it was just a weird, and I was new to it. And I thought, well, you know, here's the next tough guy. So I started to fight. He didn't know what I was doing. You know, he's probably going like, what the, Steiny, what are you doing here? Yeah. And so I, I, just, I don't know. I just felt weird about it. And I, like I was being tested here. So it's fought <laughs> He was lefty. I don't know. It was all right. I slipped and went down and I wasn't going to stay down. So I got yeah. back up. He hit me. I, I slipped or went down again. I went down twice, I say. Anyways, this Jim Taddy guy on sports desk was doing it one night. And all the boys saw it. And it said, for God's sakes, Trevor, stay down. You know, Jim <laughs> He's being funny or whatever yeah. on TV. Well, of course, I, all I got was an influx of calls from yeah. my buddies, right? Mm. Fuck, stay down, Stein. <laughs> and I'm just going, like, why do, you, why do you guys have to see every time I get embarrassed? To do this? <laughs> every time. But oh. Gordy was a good guy, good team player. Uh, yeah, he was a real tough guy, real tough guy. 
Uh, second guy I want to ask you about is uh, the guy who I guess made uh, made Gord expendable in the eyes of Quebec management. Uh, like I said, another guy that's on my Nordiques enforcer, Mount Rushmore. Uh, probably one of the most exciting fighters to watch and uh, and a really good guy too. I don't know Gord at all, but I know, I've know i known Kimby a long time. Uh, what are your memories of playing with Darren Kimball? Kimby good. Kimby came here. He's always a, he's a big kid, big tall kid, you know, didn't look, you know, certainly wasn't chiseled, Yeah, <laughs> but that was kind of funny because, you know, and Kimmy and I were pretty good friends. He, he actually lived with me one summer, the, the year that we both kind of played part-time. And then our first full year up, we, we lived together the summer before that. I think Quebec had it smart. I think that they, they had their eyes on Kim because he was, yeah, he was a stud. I mean, he yeah. was a, not even a bad player, yeah. but he was tough and we were buddies and I worked out a fair bit. So he came home and he trained, uh, he trained with me in the summer and so forth like that. Not with me, but you know, like we trained together with a, a guy and one of the guys was a boxing thing. So Kimby actually took boxing. Well, Kimby lost a whole bunch of weight. He got chiseled and he looked good. You know what I mean? And he went to camp and he lost a bunch of fights. So he just went back to his normal self and mm-hmm. then he started winning again. But it's kind of funny because he just felt he needed that extra weight. But uh, he was a really, really nice guy, Kimby, but yeah. he knew his job and he took it seriously like he wasn't afraid of anybody and yeah he like he looked i don't think anybody looked forward to it but if 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 anybody did he did i can remember him you know saying there's there's the menu tonight and (laughs) he wasn't he wasn't holding back he and he he truly believed that he could beat every guy and i think at that point he he did i think he beat crowder there once oh yeah when he was the kingpin and you know anybody can lose but Oof, there was there's some big punches there and i remember in the closed doors he and gordy getting in a fight and it was a good fight yeah but you could hear a smack and you know i didn't know whose face it was off it was obviously off gord's but gord didn't flinch yeah in it but when it was over gord was you know the, you could see the media kind of and i can remember gord's almost saying to the media yeah just you got something to write about now you know mm-hmm. one fight and i yeah. felt felt for gord too right yeah. yeah it was almost too obvious what was going on right but he, at that point, he was still a tough guy. But man, those two fought, and it was like a blue and white game. Yeah. But it was kind of weird because there weren't anybody in there. It was just, it was almost like a scrimmage. Yeah. White jerseys, blue jerseys, and then all of a sudden, here's Kimmy and Donnelly, and you're going, oh, uh, like, yeah, it was, it was a good fight. But yeah, I think you're right. That was the fight that they probably said, okay, we can, we can move this guy because Kimmy's ready. Yeah, and and for me as a fan, like. Uh... I always wonder what it would have been like to keep them both. You know, you put Gord on defense, have Kimby up up front. And, you know, the Nordiques weren't winning cups at the time, so it wasn't like, well, we can't we can't afford to keep two of these guys there. And, uh, you know, and it sucks, like you say, because with the media, you have here's a guy like Gord, and he's been doing the heavy lifting for so many years. You know, like we talked about earlier, battling Montreal, battling Boston. And, and like I said, the whole Adams division, you know, you got Hartford in there and, and Buffalo and Gord did so much, you know, and uh, and then just here's the, the new gunslinger in town. And then, like you say, one fight and the media is ready to run him out of town. And, and I, that always kind of annoys me because I don't think a lot of people in the media really understand the role. And for them, it's just, well... 
here's the new kid in town taking on the old gunslinger. Well, all right, so he beat him. Now, here's the thing. And it's like, well, I, I think a guy like Gord Donnelly, especially with what he did for the Nordiques, deserves a little more respect than that. So, 100%. Hey, Miller, Byers, there's a lot of teams with uh, with more than one. And Gordy was a really good team guy, too. Like, yeah. the guys liked him. He was good. To, you know, I don't think a lot of them do, but you might think to those guys, it might be a little bit of, distraction in the room or anything no these almost to a t all these guys that are so tough mm-hmm. are really the glue guys in the room it's yeah. almost like that's they've inherited that that's a pride of being that tough sticking up for your guys and and being a good teammate and gordy yeah. was certainly you know with gordy and kimby both were good guys that way but gordy especially yeah he was i felt that was a pretty quick exit yeah uh third guy i want to ask you about well short-term nordique but um a legend in my eyes. He's on my uh, minor league enforcer, Mount Rushmore. Uh, Serge Roberge, uh, probably one of the most technically sound fighters ever to, to lace them up. And I, from what people have told me, he threw pretty hard too. So, uh, so what are your memories of playing with Serge and maybe playing against him? Uh, playing against him, he's honest. He's yeah. not coming after you unless you do something. He won't. I loved him that way. He wouldn't, yeah. uh, never forced anything. Um, I've seen Serge fight for two plus minutes more than once. And he's like a grappler. He, yeah. and then he fights, he, he ties you up. He's like, you know, you're going, what, the, what's this guy doing to me? And then you realize later it's like one pull and it's like, you're, you're, you're in a lobster trap or something. Mm-hmm. And he's probably the smartest fighter I've seen. He had tons of little things, but he was really tough. Like, like take a punch, do all this. But he, he had, I can remember like him putting the Vaseline in, on his face and mm-hmm. stuff. And I said, uh, why are you doing that? And I used to make fun of it. I, I don't know if I can say it, you know, <laughs> French thing on it, but this and that. Oh, yeah. and he, I said, why you do that? I don't do it. And he goes, yeah, yeah. But my skin is like tissue paper. It's very <laughs> soft. And then another time in practice, who another guy I ended up playing with uh, at another place was Mario Doyon. But Mario Doyon got in a bit of a of a stick, you know, slashed a couple mm-hmm. times. And we're going to fight in practice one day. And of course, he's French. Yeah. And you know, I like Mario. Well, I don't know what happened. We just got into it a little bit, and nothing really happened. But you know, we were kind of standing there like idiots with our sticks ready to chop each other down and fuck down from the other end comes Serge mm-hmm. Serge Serge and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm like okay <laughs> I get it you yeah. know this mm-hmm. is this French thing bullshit thing yeah. now he doesn't even know what happened he's coming down there so I come down and, and I just took for granted that Serge was coming down you know maybe to stick up for his buddy or something mm-hmm. from so we got done and I look at Serge and go fuck what are you doing what are you doing down here Serge He's up here to protect your fucking buddy. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, you know, you don't even know what he did. He looks at you and he goes, what the fuck, stupid head? <laughs> you stupid. I said, what? He says, I just want to come down and see the, and he said, the works, uh, fire, fire. And I said, fireworks. He goes, yeah. So he started, he didn't care. He just yeah. came down to watch it. But mm-hmm. again, one of the nicest guys ever. Yep. Like, honestly, like. Big, huge guy. He, he, I don't think you could get him in a fight off the ice. Right. Maybe you could, but he, again, he was one of the guys that actually, you know, helped really soothe. You know, when I look back, I, didn't, I don't think we had a huge 
divide between the in 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 Halifax really and I think he was a big part of it because he was such a good guy and could keep everybody you know in the in the conversation in the dressing rooms and stuff but quiet guy but very tough and real friendly guy uh, I've heard that from a number of people that have played with them and and the the word that is always used is likable like as t- they always say, as tough as he was on the ice, he's that likable in the room, off the ice. So, uh, so I like you say, I've I've always said that the the tougher players are the glue of the room, and I think where especially nowadays when guys are getting signed, like here on the island, uh, we had Matt Martin got signed a four year deal a couple of years ago, and people are like, wow, four years. And I always say, like, unless you're in the room. You know, you can see what Matt Martin contributes on the ice, but unless you're in the room, you don't really get what he contributes off the ice, especially as a veteran, someone who's been here a long time. And to me, the biggest endorsement that anyone that to me, the obvious endorsement for Matt Martin is when Lula Murillo came here from Toronto. The first two players he brought from Toronto were Leo Komarov and Matt Martin. So uh, Lou Lamarillo knows more about hockey than all of us combined. And his first matter of business was bringing Matt Martin back. So yeah, and and it's part of it's part of knowing the hockey, but it's probably it's learning the dynamics of the room because I would say the same thing about a guy like Kevin Kaminsky. I, I, I'm at the point now where I, I think you could put Kevin Kaminsky in an NHL dressing room right now, mm-hmm. throw him in his gear. I wouldn't play him because he's probably got a belly on him and everything, but <laughs> he's, you know, he's one of the few guys I know that can just add integrity to the room, add an element of, you know, you just feel like, yeah, he, he just has a way of making everybody feel like this is a special group. And, you know, so I get it, you know, it, it they put so much on, on other things and they don't put as much emphasis on pure character, charisma, leadership, the whole bit, you know, the day in day end steady pull on the rope. They need to be more. I think even as a scout, I feel that that's a, a, a big thing you have to look at because there's a lot of guys with character and no skill, mm-hmm. but the guys that really have the character the skill and the compete level, they're, they're not that easy to find. And that character part goes a long, long way. Well, I think, uh, I, I think a good example of that is a guy that, uh, I, you would have played against uh, with the, when you're in Halifax, he's with Fredericton, a guy like Jerry Fleming, who uh, is a player. He plays all those years and then he retires and he steps in as an assistant coach right away with Fredericton. And, and more recently, uh, Matt Karkner, who, who finished his career here with the Islanders, uh, they send him down. He plays a little bit for Bridgeport, steps right into an assistant coach role. And to me, there's a reason that you have guys like a Jerry Fleming and a Matt Karkner where they can just step right in because what they bring to you on the ice, obviously they're not going to do that in the locker room. I mean, maybe some guys need to get the ship eat out of them, but it's their character. The reason why you take a Jerry Fleming and you, you put him opposite of a Michelle Terry is because now you have a guy that the players can, they have a confidant in the room. They have a guy that they can go to. A lot of those players on Fredericton had played with Jerry, so they already had a relationship with him. Similar to when Matt Karkner became an assistant coach with Bridgeport, a lot of the players knew Matt from the short time he was there. And there's a reason why, you know, they're not starting at the bottom of, uh, you know, the coaching climb. They're stepping right into an assistant coach role in the second best league in the world. It's because of their character. And uh, I, I think for people of around our age, our generation, we value that so much more than a lot of the kids do today. 
you hit it right on, and there's just guys that have it. I remember I got a captain, Mark Rancourt, that played for me the year we won the Nationals. And, you know, I, I, I really think that his ability to translate, like, I, you know, I, enough. I, I mean, coach this, coach that. I, I'm, I'm overly emotional. I, I go in, and some days, I'm, the more upset I get, the more I, my words get backwards. I can almost spell words backwards. <laughs> when I get upset. So I could literally, and I can remember basically going into the dressing room, using my mind and guys would probably go, well, that's not fair. That's this, you know, he's a dick. You know what I mean? And, and Mark, I always say had the ability to translate. So he had the ability to come in. And when I left, he had the ability to go, does anybody know what the coach just said? And you know, one guy goes, yeah, he basically just, challenged us as as men you just basically put us down and said we were playing you know i don't want to say the wrong words here but you know yeah <laughs> you know yeah. where i'm going yeah absolutely it'd be almost to the level of uh, not really all that nice as a coach right. mm-hmm. and i'd leave and you know of course pick a couple guys out to, for whatever i'd leave and he'd go guys <clears throat> i think what we have to understand here is steiny wants to win tonight we didn't have a very good effort. Let's let's understand we don't like the envelope, and we don't even understand the writing of the letter. But I think it's safe to say that all he really wants us to do is work harder, win the game that we're fully capable of willing, and then we'll have a good weekend, a good a good week you know, practice next week. Mm-hmm. So he had the ability to take guys who probably would have said if we lost, I can't stand my coach. Trevor's a jackass, and he's mean, and he's this. We win the game, but it's because your your leader can translate the message and make it sound so much prettier. Yep. Translate it over, so take the message of the coach and kind of make it make sense to the players. You know what I mean? You can smooth that over, and that's what some of the, these people don't understand. That Those dynamics are still in an NHL dressing room. Yep. These kids are no older than the kids I was coaching at university. Mm. You know, a few yep. older ones, but, you know, it, it's you have no idea how how – much talent these guys have, but how immature in their minds they can be. And they need that quality leadership from those older guys because that steady pull on the rope when you're making millions of dollars, isn't that easy. Right. Yeah. You know, you get used to that paycheck. It's pretty easy to just to middle of the contract slough off a little bit. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so the fourth guy I want to ask you about, you already brought him up and uh, I'm so happy to say he's one of my best friends. Um, really just an amazing person. And I, I have said on a shift by shift basis, my favorite player ever to watch because when he jumped over the boards, you never ever knew what was going to happen, but you could almost guarantee something was going to happen. And you talked about him already, Kevin Kaminsky. Uh, what was it like playing with killer? You guys think I'm a weirdo here. I lived with killer too. <laughs> me, him, killer, Kenny McRae and me. And, uh, man, I've seen him do some crazy shit. Like, mm-hmm. I've seen him. I, I saw him sucker punch the tough guy from Moncton skating by the penalty box. I think it was post-check. Okay. Might have been. <laughs> it could have been. Um, I've seen him fight Jerry Fleming. I saw him yep. go to the ref and go, if I go down, no matter what, no matter if I go down, unless I'm on my back knocked out, don't come in. <laughs> well, Jerry Fleming, him fighting Jerry Fleming was like, it was embarrassing. Yeah. 
Jerry's so big, and I give all the credit to Jerry. Good guy, tough guy. Everything. Kevin, sure enough, got swinging the punches. It looked outmatched. Kevin went down on his knees, mm-hmm. even down under his hands and knees. With one hand hold, Jerry came up right over top of his own head on his knees and got Jerry in the chin. Yeah. And it didn't put Jerry down, but <clears throat> he stopped punching. Yeah. And I've, I saw you know, one night killer, killer went out and he got, he got hurt. He didn't go on the road trip, he got suspended. Mm-hmm. So he went out on uh, the, that night, the team left to go away on a road trip and the killer went out and I think he didn't start anything like, mm-hmm. like, like it matters. Anyways, he got cut that night out forehead. Anyways, the next two days later, the coach comes in and he goes, killer, what happened? He goes, Oh, that was from the other night. He goes, really? He goes, yeah, I don't remember. That's a pretty big cut. I don't remember that. Killer goes, Jesus coach. You did, you missed that. <laughs> well, it wasn't done in the game. It was done after, <laughs> after, but yeah, he was, he was a favorite with anybody. He yep. used to, he wore suits. Like, honest to God, you had to question him about his suits. Like, they, were, they were like waiter suits. Like, they'd come to his waist. Like, it was like a jean jacket, but it was red. Red pants, red top, black shirt, and even red shoes. And he's, like, thinking he's looking hot, you know? Like, we're making fun of him. But he, he didn't give a shit, man. He wore whatever he wanted. Everybody loved the guy. And, yeah, he'd have crazy pair of teeth he'd take to the bars and wear and dropping people's drinks and stuff but i don't know how a guy can be as tough as he is either because he's just there's not much to him yeah mm-hmm. he just and yet he's just you can't even tell stories about him because you start telling all these stories even the ones that i wouldn't tell him this to now and yeah. but you, you just people don't believe you yeah mm-hmm. it's, like greg, it's like greg smith stories yep you know they just go oh i think you're embellishing that one stein you know oh, fuck no i'm not <laughs> <laughs> Steiny, this has been so great. I love, I love taking these trips down memory lane. And the cool thing is, like I said, uh, the fact that you're an ex-Nordique uh, really is cool. And and I love your stories, and uh, and I appreciate your time. Uh, one thing I started in the Talking Isles Enforcers with series last episode with Darcy Harris was I want to end these episodes with a funny story from your playing days. Uh, Darcy set the bar pretty high. If you didn't uh, listen to that one, folks, go back and listen i'm not going to say what it was but uh so if if you could give me a story or two from your playing days that would really tie this uh tie a bow on this episode i'd love to hear it well there's there's it's kind of one concept but two two stories the first year when i was in fredericton it's way out in the woods and i was living with scott shaughnessy and mike natashak and two great guys and we were yes i had a jeep and he had a four by four of some sort Toyota forerunner. So we started going back in the woods and, and uh, these guys got in their mind. They wanted to start hunting. So we literally would get up before practice and go hunting and then come back afterwards. And, you know, we had shotguns and four, uh, 12 gauges and <laughs> four tens. I don't know, not a gun guy. Yeah. All we did basically go, didn't see anything. So then we just shoot three boxes of shells each. And so, I don't know why we got in the right mind. We went back and we got bored of this. So we went and bought BB guns, these handguns, but they're BB guns. And we still went out, but we went out to these areas and out in the middle of nowhere where there's paths and four wheelers. I don't know. It's stupid, but this is when we were pretty young. We started having like, like saying, okay, now the, the three of us, take off in different directions. And then we had to hunt each other down. And she was <laughs> hit with the BB gun. So 
you know, we started out as it's pretty, you know, we were responsible. We wore safety goggles and shit. And the first day we got, well, we had light jackets on. Well, the second time we played, we, you know, the jet glasses were fogging up and jackets starting to sting and stuff. So we got heavier stuff. And by the end of it, the goggles came off because they got foggy. We got more winter stuff on because the, the white stuffing was coming out of our jackets. And <laughs> so we were like guys a couple times, you know, we one guy'd be done and two of us had finished the other guy off with the other guy freaking out. Like two of us is shooting a guy that's down. And then that we grew out of that because the guys in the team were a little bit thinking we're idiots, <laughs> which we were, but we would literally go to McDonald's after practice, right after practice with our Jeeps and our everything like that and get like, five happy meals and we were gone for the day then so we had this these bb guns in the house the whole year but they kind of lost their i don't know what happened but we got no it was in the playoffs one game and i think we might have beat out sherbrooke i I think we might have but make a long story short i'd been in a fight with uh stephen fletcher Mm -hmm. and when i fell down on the ice god bless him i hit my head he didn't take a swing he called the ref in but i was out i couldn't go out that night so the doctor basically said, you got to, you got your roommates? And I said, yeah, I got them. And he said, well, they're going to have to wake you up every half an hour. So they told my roommates, Scott Shaughnessy and Mike Natashek, you got to wake this guy up every hour just to make sure should be fine. So we all go home. Well, they all screwed off downtown. They, <laughs> they went downtown. So I'm staying there and I, I do have a headache. I'm legit. I'm, I wake up and Scott Shaughnessy is standing over me with the hall light on, and I can say, what, what do you want? I flick on the light, and he's going, the cops, freeze. <laughs> and he's fucking, I'm going, what are you doing, man? It's like three or four, I'm concussed, I'm headache. Like, he's pointing the fucking BB gun at me, and he's, cops, freeze. And then, I don't know, something else was said, they start, I don't know, acting like idiots, and they yeah, no. He shot the BB gun like it. it I, I think it grazed my hair, but I leaned back and it hit. I could hear it hit the paneling, and then he's giggling. <laughs> I'm on this is fucking like what he shot me in the eye. So next thing I know, I had to talk him down out of it. But you know, it was kind of an odd experience. You're supposed to be there looking after me. Yeah. You come home and you start shooting me with a BB gun. <laughs> but then I, as I was thinking of telling you this before, they'd gone down later the next that night because. They weren't done going to bed, so I went to bed. He and Natashak, and I guess this is what I just remembered when I was talking. Do you ever remember in the States, they may not have had them, but do you ever remember those Salada tea? Yeah. You mm-hmm. used to get figurines of little deer and little animals. Okay, that I don't remember. I remember the tea, though. Okay, yeah, I used to get these in these little teas. Anyways, there were those lined up on a little shelf, and they just fucking ping those off like i'm just going oh my god so we had yeah it was not good at all like not only shoot me he shot the people we were renting house little figurines of wild animals with a bb gun and i just thought fuck like i gotta get out of here (laughs) where's my career where's my career going but yeah just yeah and i always joked the whole thing i was saying you guys are mature i'm coming out of junior i bought probably got my grade 10 and I had to go back to school <laughs> you guys are graduates from BU Boston College and you guys are shooting people with BB guns and and yeah I thought good job boys <laughs> <laughs> but, but uh crazy yeah there's and there's a lot more stories I'm sure and I've heard of other ones too but yeah there's 
some that just can't be told or they mm-hmm. they're, they're they're wrong a or b there's just unbelievable yeah well and the the funny thing is and and i think people that listen to my show they're mostly old school anyway but and they probably know this but stuff like you just said it's funny to listen to and i guarantee you it brought you guys closer together oh jesus yeah i was gonna say that that story about clem that probably galvanized that group mm-hmm. more than ever. Yeah. You know, that night the guys go and they go, and then they're going like, that's when you sit, look around and go like, look at how tough this team is. And he's questioning. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no question. All this sort of stuff. That's, and that's, I guess what it did to those guys, the crazier everybody was, yeah. you know, even before I played, that's what kind of galvanized them as a group. You know, who was the craziest, who was the toughest, who stuck together the most. And mm-hmm. obviously that level can't continue because it's, it's half disturbing, but you don't want to lose it all. Yeah. There's an element of that that keeps that. That's the reason guys play. I I would have loved to have been inside Bird Dog's head when he's challenging them, challenging you guys as being chicken. I would love to have seen his thought process at that time. What what must have been turning in his head? Oh, I have no 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 <laughs> idea. Yeah, I have no idea. But yeah. yeah, live chicken in the room, the towel to lie down. Oh God! It was, it it was just bad timing too. Like yeah. he could have done it at another time, but you know, we'd come out on a road trip. You know, slow first period. Guys are cranky, like, and he just chastised every tough guy in the dressing room. And yeah, it was. Yeah, you just might as well just fucking taking a match and throwing it in the, yeah. you know, fucking <laughs> gas station. <laughs> but oh my God. yeah it was but it was great to watch man it was just every every whistle just fight then another one then another one then a couple shifts and then another fight and like like the utica guys were just like what like jesus christ <laughs> like it's where did this come from yeah you know, <laughs> i think they found out after the game you know just live chicken in our shower <laughs> now i guess the the logical progression to that story is was the chicken returned, or did you guys eat him at at a certain point later that week? I don't know what happened to it. I never saw it after Sunday morning, okay. but I know on Sunday morning, you know, things are a little foggy, and I'm going, I hear, and I'm like, holy fuck. Oh, my God. What, that was right. Like, I wasn't dreaming that. And then, sure enough, in the shower, there it is. And, yeah, it was it was awkward. Like, it was the most weird, awkward, funny moment, but. To tell Greg Smith or to tell the group Sergio Bears and these guys that they're basically chicken shits was just over the top. Yeah. Oh, God. Well, yeah. Trevor, this is unbelievable. I appreciate your time. Um, you know, this is, uh, you know, when I started doing the show, it's, it's stories like this that, uh, you know, to me, you don't get from a lot of today's players. And uh, I, this was just a blast for me. So I, I just want to thank you again. I wish you nothing but success with the, the Kraken. I'll be following your son's career. And uh, once again, you know, we'll keep in touch and just thank you for everything. My pleasure, man. This uh, gives me a false sense of who I was, man, being able to get someone actually interested in asking this because you don't get it very often. I'm like 55, so they aren't asking me about hockey anymore. So it's kind of, I'll be honest, it's really refreshing to be able to look back and think how many, how many guys you played with, all the things that happened, and you realize that it's what a great fraternity. 
Well, it was it was really it was really a throw for me, and uh, you know, and and like I said, I said to you on the phone yesterday, you know, everyone wishes they could play a thousand games in the show, but you you did something that ninety nine percent of the population could never do. So hold your head up high. You had a you had a great career, and and like I said in the beginning, uh, the legacy that that you will leave uh, with, with the players that you coached, you know, you, you can't put a price on that. So, you know, be very proud of yourself. Thanks very much. And, uh, I really appreciate it. Love to do it anytime. All right. Thanks Trevor. Talk to you soon. Yeah. Take care. All right, bye now. And now, you know what the, uh, beginning of the episode was about with the, uh, back to the future clip, because that chicken story, unbelievable. And that I'm glad that, uh, that Trevor told that story, because it really gives you a feel for old time hockey, old time American league stuff in the eighties and stuff that would never, ever happen today. So, uh, so I love that story. I had heard him tell it before actually, and I'm glad he was able to, uh, to fit it in here. And thank you again to Trevor Steinberg for your time. And uh, I thought it was great and I hope you people enjoyed it too. So with that, I want everybody to have a great week and stay safe. Thank you.